Hi, hello, how are you? Thanks for stopping by. Today we're going to talk to some real people about some real things, living real lives, doing real stuff. This is the Working Perspectives Podcast. I'm Matt Lavelle, accompanied by Justin Richardson, and our guest today is the pontificating, the perfect, the perennial, the parental Patrick Kane. Justin, how are you doing, sir? I'm feeling good, feeling loose. What's up? Looking good, looking loose. All right. You can find all our stuff and all our content on all podcast platforms and YouTube at Working Perspectives Podcast. You can join us on Instagram at Working Perspectives Podcast and follow us on the Twitter and the TikTok at Working P Pod. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, then email us at workingperspectives at gmail.com. All right, let's get this thing started. Let's go. It's our objective to be effective by voice in society. Working perspective, exploring your day and how you get paid. Launching a new episode every Tuesday. Your day can transform while we inform with new episodes available on every platform. So check out our vibe and how we get live. Then do us a solid. All right, Jay Jalen Dub. All right, so two things. One, uh, watched a documentary called it's it's part of the Untold series on. You tell me about this, yeah. And no, I'm telling you about it's called the Malice in the Palace. Uh, Malice at the Palace. Yeah, 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 bro. If Steven Jackson isn't the fucking coolest motherfucker there is, I don't know who is. Steven is Jackson's guy, ice cold. I dude, actually, I actually, fucking I, loved him. Yeah. I didn't finish that one. I watched the Thrashers one, the hockey one. Did you watch Thrash, that? So good. The oh, fucking yeah. Danbury Thrashers. So yeah, fucking it's good. So good. How great is it when Winger gets his fucking that guy gets his comeuppance for breaking his leg? He goes, "You're lucky we kept it on ice, buddy." Dude, yeah. <laughs> they gave him his address, and he was like, "What do you want us to do?" And he was like, "Uh." So the guy got his leg broken in one of the hockey matches. He's in the hospital. He's his owners are gangsters. Comes yeah. to him, and he's like, "We got the guy's address. What do you want us to do?" And he yeah. starts laughing, and he's like. Wait, oh, oh, you're serious? Oh yeah. oh, yeah, we'll do anything you want. Yeah. He's like, no, I kept it on the ice and yeah. he beat the bricks off of him. Yeah. yeah. Could you imagine being killed for breaking guy's leg in a hockey match? Oh, yeah, dude. The way yeah. that the, yeah, that, hockey that match game, awesome. whatever. Yeah. I love it. The music for it's great too. Awesome. Oh, really so good. good I actually, uh, it's funny you said that. So I, I um, asked my phone what that song was. We could have been mm-hmm. anything that we wanted, wanted to, to be. be. Yeah. We're uh, the best at being bad. Yeah, it's yeah, so yeah. good. Yeah, so good. What is it? Is that from a musical? That's, uh, it's from Bugsy Malone. Yep. I the fucking, song is called I fucking knew Love it. a know, Little More. Do you know like who? That? Do you know who starred as the lead in Bugsy Malone? I, never even heard of this movie. Scott but, fucking Bayo. Yeah, you did. They yep. all look like little rascals age. Like they all look yeah. like. Uh, it was yeah. Older. They're it's like they're mafia guys. Like it's like they're mini mafia guys. So like they think the the bad guys like fats or something or whatever. <laughs> they uh to to like the big battle at the end. They had to get the boxers, which I really like. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, it was uh yeah. The I song's that. good. It's a jam. I'm the best at being bad. Yeah, 
It was fucking awesome. But uh, okay, so let's keep it on moving. So two things, all right? First things first, I'm going to tell you a little story. So uh, old Uncle Maddie has talked about how he was on this show before, or or I've talked about on this show before. I've been on this show before, fucking obviously. Uh, (laughs) But uh, talking on the show before how my high school experience wasn't the best. I went to a couple of them and ended up getting the boot, right? I graduated. I'm a high school graduate. Had my diploma. Fucking finished. Whatever. Suck my nuts. But you know, it wasn't easy for me. So back off. Um, but either way, uh, so not so what, small. So what happened was is that uh, you know when I was a senior in high school, graduated afterwards, I racked up some debt, and we'll say the debt was to the state and the government, right? Uh, so I owed a lot of money in fines and I could, I didn't have any money and I couldn't pay them. And with, if I didn't pay them, then I'd be facing a mandatory sentence as an 18 year old kid. Right. Yeah. So my, I was my, I was, you know, my mom couldn't help me. The reason was, is because she was helping my older brother, Captain Jerkbeard, uh, in, when he was tied up in a federal case. Right. So she was helping him pay that. Right. Yeah. We'll yeah. find about that about that one time. Yeah. He was faced with a felony, a federal charge. Yeah. So, both of these stories. Either way. Um, so she was, you know, tapped out paying for him. My old yeah. man was kind of out of the picture at the time. And then I had no money and nowhere else to go. And I was like, kind of like sweating every day that the cop was going to show up being like, Hey, it's time for you to go. Right. You know what I mean? Like, cause yeah. I was facing, you know, if I didn't pay this fine, you're facing a mandatory sentence. Right? Yeah. They'll give you a bench warrant and then right. you'll be taken in. Correct. Exactly. So what I had to do is I had to go to a friend of mine and he's also like a father figure, a great friend, mentor, just the best guy. His name's Dr. Jeff. And I had to go to him with hat in hand and ask for help. Right. And what he did was, is I was like, look, I just need this amount to get to the next payment. And by the next payment, I'll be fine. Right. And I owed a significant amount of money. Right. How much money are we talking about? More than 10K? We're getting real close to it. Was it the fine? Dude, it was a couple, like it was a bunch all at once. Me and me and uh, Jerker got arrested combined 14 times in two years. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So things what, aren't 14 going. times in two years. You guys are doing a bad job at doing a bad job. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. I mean, you got imagine the stuff we did get away with, you know, yeah. <laughs> but it was just like dumb stuff. Like just one of them. The yeah. Just, I mean, you know, some like it was, but we were also, it was like underages were a thing. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, All just kinds stu- of, yeah. Nothing. You weren't stabbing people. Correct. But Correct. if you don't pay a fine also on time, it doubles and, and Correct. a, a misdemeanor. Uh, what was the the paraphernalia charge was four hundred and twenty dollars back then? Yeah, yeah. You're, Isn't that an odd number? Some, yeah, yeah. Why would yeah? Why did they have yeah. to put the extra five dollars on there, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. But uh, either way, so we're I racked up a significant amount where it's like, dude, it was a lot because I didn't pay it, and they were like, look, buddy, fucking you know bills do right. So I went to them asking just for some money to like, you know, like, because if you paid a little bit, they're like, all right, you're, you're fucking, you're, the clock's rolling back and you're now yeah, you're yeah. on the ticker again. Yep. So he, when I asked for the little bit, he said, how much do you owe entirely? And I told him and he paid the whole thing. Right. Yeah. I know. But like, he was like, it was almost, but he, he did it. Like when you ask someone for money, it's very fucking, it's the worst thing ever. 
right? Like I was yeah. like fucking distraught talking to this guy. So I asked for the money. He gives it to me, but he also, he's like, look, just come by tomorrow and every day until I say, and I'm going to have work for you to do. So instead of like giving it to me, make me feel dejected. He gave me a job to do to make yeah. me feel like a man that I could earn the money myself. Right. Which yep. is what I needed. So I did that and like I ended up working it off and paying everything off and it was done there. Right. And I, at that time I was like, God, I just hope I never have to ask anyone for any money again. Right. So the reason I'm telling that story is because I really like doing this show. Right. And you really like being on the show. And I think everyone that comes on here has a good time. We get nothing but rave reviews from the people that come on and the people that listen. And I enjoy it. And I'm not asking anyone for any money. I'm just asking them if they could please just click the subscribe button. Because for us to get monetary value out of this and to turn this into something we could do to make money, we need subscribers because yeah. you don't get paid by YouTube until you hit a certain amount of subscribers, right? So if everyone listening could just tell someone they know, don't even have to just, I mean, hopefully they listen to the show because it's fucking great, <laughs> but yeah. just hit the subscribe button so my wife doesn't force me to stop this because it's not making any money yet. <laughs> all right i just you gotta stop hanging out with your friends yeah dude you have no don't i mean we'll talk about that so <laughs> either way like uh so this is, this is i yeah. want this is yeah. a good hobby it keeps me out of trouble i like it same man i fuck i i mean knock on wood i'll still like doing this shit but dude, and i like, love hearing like especially like i get a, a I, look obviously there's if you live in north wales or lansdale you probably enjoy the show a bit more but like sean day grew up five blocks away from me the fact that like a navy seal grew up that close to me i just take a sense of pride and like brandon hill grew up a block away from me i've been stiff-armed yeah. by the man like i'm i love to hear his story of like what he's been up to for the last 15 years and the perspective of like these are knuckleheads we knew when we were kids and now they have real jobs yeah it's fun dude i like it, it. it is fun and it's fun yeah. to do it is like, you know, I'm not going to say it's not a lot of work, but it is. But it's like you do what you love. You never work a day in your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I like doing the content creation. Like I don't know if people have seen it now, but it's out. The Road to Rainbow Road, right? Yeah, Parts the video. I like two. the narration. Yeah, oh, it's good. That, that was all your boy, Old Uncle Maddie, brother. Let me tell school, you. Uh, Slow-mo wiffle ball. Oh, run derby. Who gosh. doesn't want to see that? Oh, my gosh. Give the it people was. what they want. So, yeah. So no, you're right. And I, and it's fun to do. And like, I just want to keep doing more stuff and like having more live events and just like getting the word out there. You know what I mean? Like, I want to have more storylines. Like you and me had talked about one, I won't give it away, but I would just love to do that. I would love, like, uh, I don't, I mean, I don't want to give the idea away, but before there was pro wrestling, right? Like WWE and AEW, right? There was yeah. regular wrestling, right? So Right now, there's regular video games. So how long until there's, you know, WWE style, right? Because I'm not going to lie. Even when I'm playing, like when I'm training and I've been training hard, you know, or I, I mean, at this point when this airs, we'll have already had the thing. But I was training hard for October 2nd. And like, dude, when you're playing and like you sneak from behind and you're in second, you blow by to get first and Right? Like, you have to imagine if there's a crowd of 100 people watching that they're going freaking nuts so if there's a way you could stage that for 12 races in a row the people are going to be freaking elated you know what i mean 
like a come from behind victory or snatching victory from the jaws of defeat, all that stuff. But you need to have a storyline to back it up, like some bastard stealing the rights to his brother's show. Yeah. You know, so either way. Yeah. So I just want to keep being do that. And, you know, to have the ability to do that, we just need people to click a fucking button on our YouTube channel. Yeah, just subscribe. Yeah. So, all right, let's keep it moving. I want to talk (laughs) about our guest today. So speaking of come from behind stories and snatching victory from the jaws of defeat, let me tell you something. Let me tell you a little fucking something. All right. So uh, 4th of July might be my favorite holiday. It's one. I mean, Christmas is obviously come on. Right. But 4th of July is way fucking up there as far as holidays go. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. I mean, as far as you get to celebrate a flag, it's a grand old flag with that red white. Yeah. I mean, it's such a simple concept. Old glory, well, brother. But just here dude, to celebrate a flag. Dude, and it's the best. And you're eating fucking chili dogs and, yeah. and whacking and it's fireworks. one of those holidays where there's no, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to buy presents. You don't nope. have to get a card. It's nope. one of those, free, like Cinco de Mayo, yeah. uh, St. Patty's Day. It's one of those, it's a show up holiday. Yeah. Like I do is show up somewhere. You show up and you shell out. You bring some watermelon or whatever the fuck it is. Yeah, put macaroni salad, whatever the hell you're supposed bring to bring. Bring a fun hat. Yeah, you're doing it up. Tank top. Yeah. So uh, the, our guest today, Pat Kane, is my cousin, right? And his old man, my Uncle Bob, and my Aunt Kathy would have these monster 4th of July parties, right? Like a couple hundred people showing up. They're renting bouncy houses and like yeah. all that, like going, like they have a backyard full of people. There's tons of games going on. And like massive events, but one of the big events that would end up happening is an event called the egg toss, right? So for those of you that don't know, the way you play the egg toss is it's two people per team, right? And you stand, everyone stands the same distance apart in a line, right? So they count to three, one, two, three, you throw the egg, right? If your partner doesn't catch it or the egg breaks, right, then you're out, okay? Okay. So like we said, there's a ton, a ton of people at this 4th of July. So there's probably, I would say, 30 egg toss teams, right? And every, every toss, you take a step back. Correct. Like it's further and further away from each other until there's one person left with one unbroken egg. Correct. And it can get far, yo. Oh, just you wait. So Soft hands. Oh, yeah. So what happened, So what ends up happening, right, is it's like 30 on 30. And me and Pat are there. And me and Pat, were probably like seventh grade, eighth grade, around that age, like 12, 13. So we're in that awkward, like growing stage. We're like chubby kids. You know what I mean? We're goofy. We're both like, also like, we would annoy the shit out of people a lot. (laughs) You know, like we were those kids that were like, like we were lovable in a way, but we were also fucking like, we could be really annoying. Right. So what uh like, but we were also like fan favorites. You know what I mean? So like when they saw us out there, they were like, oh, if these guys won, that'd be great, right? So we're out there. It's 30 people. And, like, you have to think, like, you know, Captain Jerkbeard's there with a, with someone. And my little brother's there and my sister. Then, like, Pat is one of – he's one of four, five, right? And he has three brothers, right? Yeah. So they're there and they all yeah. have partners, right? So it's like a fucking – it's everyone's yeah, game time. It's a competition. Oh, it's it, – everyone's like, let's go. Like, competition was big, right? So – First, you know, first throw happens. I don't, th- I think maybe one or two people are out, right? Everyone takes a step back. Second throw happens. Another couple people are out, right? Then we take a step back. Third throw happens, right? Then there's like a big chunk of like, you know, the amateurs are fucking gone. 
right? Yeah. Fourth throw happens, right? And people are taking a step back. Like, mind you, there was, I think, Doylestown at, like, so he lived in Doylestown. And at the time, I think Doylestown, like, had, like, a, like a great baseball team, like a state-ranked baseball team, right? And, like, there's two kids that are playing, right, that were, yeah. like, they're friends of Pat's older brother. So they're, like, four or five years older than us right they're in high school about to go to college they're being scouted playing baseball like you know what i mean like yeah. star baseball players they're playing and they're a team just an fyi and they've made it past the fourth round or wherever we're at right so we do the fifth round take a step back me and pat are still in it we're on the low at this point right but then after you take the sixth step back yet and they're making you take like a yard step like you yeah you're taking a big, big step. step right so after we take the six step back and we're still in it, people are like, okay, what is going on here? Right? Like it's really down to like, it started yeah. at 30 and we're down to five. Right? So it's five teams left and it's me and Pat there. I think captain Jerkbeard was there with his partner. And then there was the baseball duo that we talked about, like the number one, like the, you know, yeah, the best yeah, yeah. baseball players in the state, some of them. Right. So me and Pat are there and we're there. We're in our swim trunks with our shirts off and no shoes. Just enough. Just to give you a visual. No right? equipment. No, no like assist. We're, yeah. We're just going on the raw. Raw. Right. And we're also like, you know, like we, I said, we're pretty chubby. So you got we're pruny pretty, fingers. Yeah. We're the whole deal. Right. You got a little Cheeto dust on the lip. Oh, all over the place. Covered so, in soda. Yeah. Oh, dude, we were just snorting soda. So <laughs> either way. Right. We get to the next round, right? And at this point, there's only five teams left. So everyone's going one at a time because they want to build the suspense. Yeah. Right. So when we throw and we catch, it's like people are like, okay, fucking all right. You know, like people are getting behind us. They're like, all right, these fuck, because we were the youngest ones there that were left by far. Everyone else was like a lot older. Yeah. Right. So then another team gets knocked out. We take another step back. Then the next round, we survive again. Another team gets knocked out and take another step back. Then we survive again. And then two teams get knocked out. Right. So now there's two teams left. I think you're no, what? like at the, one at this team because there was five. So three teams are gone there. So there's two teams left. It's us. So it's me and Pat. Right. The two, the two cool kids of the Cuyahoga against the fucking baseball stars of the state. Right. Yeah. And, and like, you're a good 30 feet away from each other at this point. Oh, I, I would say even further, dude. Like, we're pretty far. Yeah. Right? This is so, a toss. Oh, yeah. So we're down to it's first one that, like, next, you know, it could be over the next yeah. throw. But you have redemption, I think. Right. So, if like, if neither it, can make that distance, then you get to try again. Correct. Like, you both have to catch it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, we're going right and there was and dude it's like we go back and forth we each catch one we take another step back go back and forth each catch one take another step back so we're pretty far back and we're hanging in with these guys but we can tell they're getting tired and we're fucking still good right <laughs> that cheeto dust was fucking coming in <laughs> so this is where this is where fucking pat saves the day right dude we are so far apart that i can't make the throw to him right yeah that's yeah. how far apart we are right yeah this and is I'm, as far as i can throw an egg dude uh, like uh wait it was way further than i could throw it right like <laughs> i'm like fuck me and it's you know pack could throw pretty good so i didn't have to really like run under it but the key was like you wanted to throw it high but you couldn't throw it too hard because then it's chat it, it was a whole thing. right you wanted to come down and kind of give it a basket yeah 
So these guys, the state guys, had gone before us, right? And they had a bad throw, and there was a break, and they dropped it, right? There was a window. So we knew if we caught it, we would win. But I was throwing, Pat was catching, and I knew, knew, like, I I think I was like, dude, I can't make it this far, right? Like, this is way too far for me, right? So I end up like, I'm, I'm just like, I kiss the egg. I'm like, all right, let's go. So I just stand up and I throw it, right? And I knew as soon as I let it go, I was like, fuck, it's short. I mean, I'm like, fuck, right? And Pat just chucks, the, starts hauling, just, and like I said, we were like 12, 13, fucking awkward, chubby, yeah. not the best athletic specimens. So he's, it's not like a Pam Anderson on the fucking beach here, pal. It's not that, <laughs> you know, he's made his. Yeah. He's digging. He's digging in there with nothing but swim trunks on. No shirt, no shoes, no socks, nothing. Just digging Out in. for the glory. Running. Oh, yeah. All for the glory, right? He gets to the egg. He's a little short. He dives, catches the egg, rolls, and comes up and thrusts his fist in Ta-da. the air with a fucking still intact egg, right? And the place goes nuts. The whole, like, because where we were, the way the backyard was set up, it was almost like a, like a half bowl. So there was, like, people in the backyard by the house, but then there's, like, a hill, and there's, like, you know, probably, like, 50 people on the hill watching yeah. from the stadium seat. And everybody who's knocked out still watching. Oh, dude. The, and the whole place is, like, we, like, secretly, like, they're, like, we want these guys to win, to fucking, like, show up. Yeah, the win. under, yeah. Look at yeah, these kids and, out here throwing eggs yeah. at each other. Look at these shirtless fucking students yeah. out here throwing <laughs> eggs. Just throwing eggs like a couple kids. Fresh out of the pool, ready for the egg toss. Yeah. So he catch does the diving roll, like diving, catch it, roll, stands up, thrust the eggs in the air, and we fucking won. And it was the best, right? <laughs> Elated. Elated. Carried out of the party on shoulders. Oh, we was a hero. Everyone came in. They were jumping around, clapping Love it up. It. They loved it. The Philadelphia and, Inquirer showed up. Oh, so did we get a statement? That, honestly, we would be repeat champs the next 4th of July, just an oh. FYI. And we would beat Captain Jerkbeard in the finals. Just an FYI. I don't even know if he knows how to throw an egg. <laughs> he knows how to sit on one. <laughs> but so either way, so when we started doing the show, right, I've said before that I, I would grade the show on how incredible it is by the type of people that like the show. So when I heard Pat like the show and he was listening to the show, I knew like this must be a quality show because only a quality egg toss champion individual would be on here and like listening to it. So I was super excited when he uh, when he said he would come on the show and we booked him and I'm really happy he's here. He's doing great. He's working. He has a kid. He's kicking ass. But before we get started, Pat, I would just like to ask, have you seen the movie Bohemian Rhapsody? And if yes, what'd you think of that piece of shit movie? I have not seen the movie, Matt. And right. I, from watching this podcast, I intentionally made sure I didn't watch the movie based on your opinion. Smart. Very smart. Very smart. Justin, you don't care like either way about it, do you? I don't feel passionate about the movie. Um, I don't think about it that much. Yeah. See, the thing was, it's like one of Pete's <laughs> favorites. So I, I think, it. yeah, I think me and you have to find a movie that we disagree on to start asking that question because... It was just the best to rub it into Pete's fucking face every time. That everyone it, hates this movie. That it sucks. It's so fucking bad. 
It is you so... didn't even finish. We talked about this. You didn't finish the movie. 20 minutes in. Couldn't do it. That's not couldn't do it. <laughs> I couldn't watch that fucking beaver tooth monstrosity fucking this, you know, just he disrespect. had big teeth. I mean, he, didn't, he looked dude, like Freddy. Every hey, every guy at you know Studio 54 <laughs> knew fucking Freddy had a wood chipper, babe. All right. No one's disputing that. I'm just saying, right? Like this guy, just he didn't have it. I don't know what the Academy was thinking. I don't know what the the Globes that I'll find a movie that everyone likes that I don't like, and we'll we'll start there. It better <laughs> not be the Sandlot because then no, I like know. Sandlot. Who yeah. doesn't like Sandlot? I mean, communist, communist, yeah, yeah. communist. The, the Red Army hates Sandlot. <laughs> yeah. So Pat, what's up, brother? How are you, man? I'm doing great, man. I appreciate you for having me out here. This is an awesome experience, and it's awesome to be in your corner and watch you do great things, man. Hey, dude, can't thank you enough for always being there. And uh, how'd you like, uh, I mean, did I, was, was I pretty accurate with, this, with the egg toss story? I think you told the egg toss story pretty perfectly. I actually remember the two guys' names we were up against. They both played at college baseball. Uh, the story is told to complete perfection. Yeah. Uh, what was left out of that is maybe the tree we burnt down or the half a stick of dynamite we set off at those Fourth of July parties. But, <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't think there's any legal precedent to go back and, you know, we replaced all that stuff and had to pay for all that new stuff. And then the next year, both our neighbors put up fences so we couldn't play in their yards anymore. Probably yeah. a good decision. Yeah. Yeah. Looking back on it, they knew like, hey, we, uh, you know, the the property value, like, you know, we have to watch out. Our homeowner's insurance isn't going to cover stupidity. So we have to be careful. Yeah. yeah. Remember that when your friends wouldn't have, your neighbors wouldn't have yards, you'd have six yards. You could play football down. Oh, bro. When they didn't One have guy a puts a fence and you're like, what are you doing? Yeah. It's the 40 yard line. Yeah. What's going on here, bub? Come on. What do you think? Yeah. yeah. They destroy like, I we would always name like our fields. Like there was a field we played like four street was just four street park. But uh, there was a field that next to Munley's house, it was called Munley Memorial Stadium that we played yeah, at. That's yeah, 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 yeah. But that was always the worst. So, uh, Pat, how's life, man? How's work going? How's your kid? How's everything? Work's going good, man. I've been at my job 12 years now. It's been an experience, man. A lot of growing Ooh. up in those last 12 years, uh, you know, to think of where I started from and where I am now is just a it's a blessing and uh like I said if yeah. I didn't have some crazy things happen in my life I don't know if I'd have been able to be this person I am now and I'm enjoying it more every day hey man that's the best you're living your best life couldn't be more proud of you pal so let's get this thing started so uh like we said uh Pat here he was born and raised in Doylestown aka D-Town aka Yoyles Toils aka D-Money D-Nice right he went to Catholic school, K through 12. Then he went to Shenandoah University for a year. Then he went to Moravian for a year, right? And then after that, while he was at these schools, big time football player, big time basketball player, hell of an egg tosser, you know, <laughs> just did it all. Total stud athlete. So Pat was the youngest of five. He's the fourth out of four boys in a row. So he knew coming up, sports was just like, you know, when you have that many boys in the house, Sports and competition, it's just a daily occurrence, which I think is healthy, right? Yeah, and it was. I, yeah. You know, like, you know, Justin, right? Like, oh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm one of six. Yeah, yeah. You're one of a Brady Bunch six. Yeah, yeah it's all, I'm not bl- fully blood related to all of them, but one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's all, yeah, you're all over the place. But either, but like living in a house with that many boys is like, you know, survival is the name of the game, babe. Yeah. Well, let me tell you. Everything's a competition. Oh yeah, dude. I'll tell and you. So, what. what's the gap? So, the oldest one is how much more old, older than you? 
So my oldest brother is uh, eight years older than me. He's my brother, Mike. Oh, so you're all uh, close, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, my parents decided to have a kid every two years for like 12 years. And then yeah, I came out and they said, we're stopping. And I said, I, <laughs> I think everybody understood why. Yeah. Yeah. That's enough, boys. I mean, you know, people, I mean, for those listening, you know, if you saw that head that he's got on him, your poor mom, <laughs> you know, Jesus, he had she actually had. I actually have good lighting around me, but my head gets in the way, so it looks like I'm uh, recording from space. <laughs> it casts its own shadow. Yeah. Uh, so all boys, no sisters? I do have an oldest sister. She's the uh, the, the oldest, and I had another sister that passed away before I was born, when uh, just around like 85, 86 before I was born. Oh, okay. So, yeah. so there's a, Okay. At least there's a girl in there. Yeah. The girl, She's probably the one that would whoop most ass in this family, by the way, still today. I would yeah. say my dad always used to say, and Pat, I think you would agree that if my my oldest sister, Natalie, my dad would say if she was a boy, she's beating the fuck out of everybody. Like she's the meanest freaking, you know, going. And she was like ruthless. You know what I mean? So it's Absolutely. like, yeah, I think your sister is the same way. Where it's like when you when you're when you're ruling the roost with three or four boys underneath you, you gotta fucking know how to crack the whip. You know what I'm saying? Like that's just how it goes. So I want to talk about this. So let's get into it. Uh, let's talk. Start with football. So you started playing football from the age of nine, right? And then you stopped for a little bit, then got back into it and ended up playing football in college, right? And you like, I'll tell you. When you played for the Catholic school league, which I was so goddamn jealous of because you got well, like, I don't, did you always play for the Catholic school league or was, did you ever play weighted football? So my first experience with football ever, I played for Northampton. I was probably eight, but yeah. I was, was great such program. A, yeah. Such a fat pudgy little kid that I was eight years old playing with a bunch of 11 and 12 year olds. And yeah. I think I quit after a week. I yeah. just couldn't, I could not handle it at all. I was softer than Charmin when I was a little kid. Yeah. But I got a little tougher. So, yeah. But that's also a tough ask. Like when you're being put up against kids that are 11 and 12 and like, you know, I wouldn't say they're maturing, but they're grow. They're a lot bigger and a lot more developed and like, you know, they have fast twitch muscles and you know what I mean? Like speed and strength that you just like, there was no, nothing you could do. You're hand, yeah. like, yeah. You're I was heavy as a kid. I learned that lesson too. I assumed Same. everyone my age was going to be in that group. And then I was one Oh five and they were all 90. And I was like, wait, why am I with everyone's older brother? Yeah. Yeah. Same. It was just, it was the worst. I was always, yeah. I think we're all three of us had to play, you know, big for our age kind of yeah. fucking detriment. Absolutely. You know, blessing and the curse at times where it's like the kids, all the kids your age, you knew everything was fine. But then you're getting in fights with the older kids, which sucked. But so let's keep it going. So uh, you played for Northampton and then you quit. And then when did you come back? And when you came back, you played for the Catholic League. So I came back in fifth grade. I played for a program called the Romans. Um, That was, you know, graded ball. So fifth, sixth, and then seventh and eighth, you know, fixing fifth and sixth for JV. Um, A lot better of an experience with that because I was playing against kids my age. You know, I was one of the bigger guys. I played center. You know, I just got to beat up people and be the big guy in that time. But I still, like I said, didn't have a great understanding of how my body worked for being a bigger kid. I always, I guess, felt like I was smaller. So I never fully uh, got it until probably later in high school. Um, when I started playing for, you know, Archbishop Wood, which yeah. was a, an experience all in itself, you know, from, from starting with the freshman ball in there and then playing all the way to, through senior year and winning our first championship in 25 years, you know, yeah. our senior season was pretty, pretty special. 
Oh wow! So wait, when you were a senior, you what? You won the Philadelphia Catholic League. Yeah. So uh, my senior year, I was a starting defensive tackle. We had a just a monstrous defense with uh, with some great linebackers, an unbelievable coach who uh, I his coach pal was his name. It was just an unbelievable coach that knew how to get everything out of his guys. Uh, we were the type of uh, team that on offense we'd run like a wishbone, run straight at you, yeah. and we would just let our defense rake. And my job <laughs> going into my senior year from my coach was to take two guys out of the play as often as possible, let your linebackers do the work, and everything will take care of itself. And you know, I think we played eleven games that year. We gave up seventy-seven points on the year. Oh, and wow. we just you know, we played against some high that's, quality guys that's, too. You averaged seven points a game in the fucking Catholic League. Yeah. Which has St. Joe's, LaSalle's, Roman. So we played in the north side. So we played like West Catholic, Commonwealth League, but we played against like Curtis Brinkley, who ended up in the NFL for yeah. a brief stint. We played against Steve Slayton, who ended up at West Virginia. Was, wasn't Stovall? Did you play? Was he there when you were there? Stovall, who was probably the best athlete I ever stepped on the field with. It, I didn't even know if I stepped on the field. I think I had surgery that year. I'd never seen a better player than Maurice Stovall when he played. When I was a uh, sophomore, and we played in the championship against him. The guy was just a freak athlete. I remember him scoring a touchdown, like a 50 yard touchdown on a pass. They ran a two point conversion. They lined them up in the backfield, handing them the ball off and he high jumped the entirety of both lines. Oh just untouched. God. It was just, I've never seen an athlete like that. Yeah. I don't really know if I ever man, will. Man playing with boys in that. Scenario. Absolutely. Yeah. Which I mean, dude, he had a great career, you know, played in Tampa, had, he was on some good teams. Like, you, you know, dude, he played for Notre Dame. Like, is there a better college experience? I mean, maybe Alabama, but back then, no. Back then, yeah. Back then, Notre Dame. Lou Holtz. Oh, well, he would have been – he was the – I mean, he probably would have caught the tail end of the Charlie Weiss era. Okay. And – or he would have been the – so who was before Charlie Weiss? Who was the – God, what the hell was his name? He probably would have been like oh. Three to 07 was his college years, I would assume, unless he got redshirted. So 04 yeah. to 08, maybe, but yeah, yeah. So he had, but dude, he was on duty, he was with there with Brady Quinn and Tommy Z. Like they had some really good teams then. So oh, yeah, cool. He was doing good. But either way, so yeah, you played in the PCL. So at the time, right now, the PCL is is now in the P triple in the in the PI double A for football which yeah. means that it plays the public schools and it's now allowed to compete in the state championship. But before the PCL was its own entity, just because of like, there was times like if they did let the PCL into the scholastic teams, it just, it wouldn't be fair. Right. Like there'd be like, like there'd been times St. Joe's would have probably won like back to back to back state champion. You know what I mean? The same thing with Rome. Like, there was just years because yeah, well, they, they, can they can offer scholarships and right. they can offer. Yeah. Yeah. They can recruit. But now I think the way that college or the way that high school football is, especially in this area, is that like, if you go to like a big time public school, you're getting just as much notoriety. The, the program is just as good, if not better. Like they really like the boosters really put a lot of money into the, the football programs. And also they make a ton of money, right? Like they make a lot of money for the school, like a lot. Yeah, you so know. I think the uh, the year after I graduated, maybe the second year after I graduated from Wood, they they started qualifying for that. And basically, um, Wood they would win was it able a to, couple of years after. Yeah, right? Wood was able was would able to recruit more. They got a lot more athletes down there. Became a very like a staple of a program for a bunch of years. Yeah. Um, you know, they won a lot of state titles. They, you know, my cousin actually played against them. He went to Allentown Central Catholic, but his team was a freak team when the, when they played that back in those days, I think it was like Oh nine or 10 somewhere in there. Yeah. 
But um, yeah, I went I went back to a game recently, maybe like three or four years ago. Wood played St. Joe's, and on St. Joe's team was Jeremiah Trotter Jr., John Runyon oh. Jr. And you're watching. I just watched the Monday night game the other night. It was uh, running starting for the uh, Packers as a lineman. Now yeah, it's like yeah. I, I've never Wood got crushed, and I can totally see why. I've never seen guys that big. <laughs> Did it? Yeah, wasn't uh, wasn't Marvin Harrison's kid on Saint, or was he on Roman? Or I Saint think Joe's? I think it was Saint Joe's. I think you're yeah. absolutely right. So I think he was that Saint Joe's one. team was yeah. all full of formerly Eagle, you know, kids. It was yeah. crazy. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it is pretty like that is fucking bad. Yeah, Runyon's kid. Right? Like, Hell yeah. Yeah, I was fucking. Yeah. I'd be he like, was Aaron. bigger than me when I. He was bigger than me. I'll ever be. I've never seen a guy built like that. I'd, dude, dude, I would love like if they did the toughest bastards in NFL history because Runyon is right fucking up there, brother. He played a whole season with a broken tailbone. What the I remember that. fuck? Because he did it because he doesn't get pancakes. Yeah, so he's like fuck it. I ain't falling on my ass. ass. Dude, when he when they would announce the offense, he's the only one. He does like you know, guys are coming out like waving to the crowd, doing all this stuff, whatever. As soon as they said John Runyon flies out of the tunnel and just sprints out there. And dude, like I remember I we were at a game and when he was still on the Eagles and we were playing the Seahawks. This is back like Westbrook was still on the team. So this might have been oh 07-ish, right? And we lost, but I remember like when you're down, like we were two rows from the field. And when you see the players that close, Runyon is a massive, massive human being. Like Pat, you're a big fucking guy, but Runyon would make you look like a fucking twerp. You know what I mean? Like he is totally agree. so big. I was like, Jesus Christ. You know, dude, I'll tell you, you know, who's another big guy that I met in person that doesn't look that big on TV, but he's huge. Jason Kelsey is a big guy and he's not like on TV. It makes it look like he has a beer gut, but he's like fucking pretty I, like, uh, big, you know, like I met Jack. McNabb and I was, his hands are huge and he was way bigger than I thought he was. Cause again, yeah. same thing like on TV, you see him compared to the lineman. Like I thought he was like six, he powered <laughs> over me and he was huge. I was like, damn, McNasty's huge. Yeah. Dude, could you imagine being like 5'10 and being a quarterback like Drew Brees? Like, you know what I mean? Like playing against these monsters, you know? Dude, I'll tell you, speaking of monsters, Javon Curse, right? I hung out with him a couple Freak. times. Dude, bro, he for a long time, and I think, I don't know if he still is. I'd have to think, but I think Javon Curse was the biggest human being I've ever met in person. And he was, dude, because he's like 6'10, right? Absolutely shredded. Not an out, and that was part of his problem is that he could get thrown around because he didn't have enough weight on him because yeah. he was so shredded, right? But I remember shaking his hand and like I felt like his fingers like up my forearm because <laughs> he could he could hold a twelve inch ruler between his pinky and his thumb. The guy That's is crazy. Yeah, he's huge. But you know, I mean, he wasn't that good at Mario Kart Double Dash. If you're listening, Bond, come at me whenever you want. Still ready? Still got the title? <laughs> so. All right, so let's keep moving. So you played, you would, like you said, football. You ended up playing in college, but let's get back to that. So when you were in school, right, what else did you – did you play basketball? Because you were really into basketball as well and really good. So when did you start playing basketball and when did you stop? So I probably wasn't the greatest basketball player. I was the guy that played basketball like you played football. You had a body size like me. I just knew how to be rough around the boards. Like yeah. I didn't play in high school. I played for – my grade school team in high school yeah. um, and probably won, you know, I, I, in eighth grade, we won the basketball championship. I was on the B team because the uh, coach wanted to 
have a seventh grader be on the A team. They lost the championship. I carried my team to a championship. I was averaging like probably 15 points and 23 rebounds. I was a terrible shooter. Oh. I was just a board master. It's what yeah, I did. Yeah, but no, like yeah. there's no kids your size either. Like there, I mean, like at that point, well, there was kids your size at that point. You were just like so there was like. You're one team, one team that had a bunch of the big guys. They got to choose. It was Marie Garetti. They got to choose, uh, you know, oh, which league they wanted Garetti. to play in. So they played in the B league, <laughs> but they had guys my size. But the biggest thing about me in that time was I was probably the worst free throw shooter that you'd ever meet in your life. Wow. I still like have Shaq. a brick my coach gave yeah. me. I think I want 12 of 93 or something from the oh free throw God. line. <laughs> year, like something terrible. Jesus. But in the, Shaq, Shaq. In, the, in the championship game, I ended up hitting five of eight three throws with two minutes left because I just kind of said, Atta give boy. me the damn ball. And that was like my moment uh, where I kind of just stepped up. And I was like, I'm taking this. If we lose, it's going to be on me. And it worked boy. out. So hey, we take those. That's how you do it. And your, it coach, most. your coach gave you a break. <laughs> yes. 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 Coach Cardi gave me a brick. I still have it to this day. It's up on my deck. It's you can't even see the writing on it. I just remember exactly what it was from. I think I was a 23% free throw shooter. <laughs> that's fucking great. That's though. terrible. Like that, as like a coach, like that's like a fucking awesome thing. That's absolutely that's one of my favorite thing. coaches. Coach Cardi, if you ever see this, uh, you know you're one of my favorites. Hey, he'll see it because you'll uh, we can send it to him. There so, you go. Uh, Get yeah. him to subscribe. I mean, everyone watches it, it's a big show. So you know, everyone sees it. No big deal. Yeah, but make sure he make sure he subscribes. Number one thing. So uh okay, so let's keep it moving. So you play when did you stop playing basketball? So I played through senior year of high school and then played pickup after that, but I didn't do anything in high school to play it. I tried out for one year, but I just didn't even I was so into football and doing that thing that it was kind of like I watched yeah. them practice for a day and I was like, This isn't gonna work with us. Yeah. 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 You saw where your bread was being buttered. You knew Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, you knew where yeah. to go. Yeah, and I played baseball up until eighth grade. I tore a ligament in my shoulder in eighth grade. I didn't play baseball anymore, but I've been I'm about 35 now. I've been playing slow pitch softball for 20 years if that counts. But Ooh. it's just something I I started with it's my fun. brothers. Like all my brothers were on the same team. It was like a big family team. And if you know anything about us, Canes were super competitive. We know how to play the yeah. games the right way. Yeah. My brothers are all middle infielders. I'm, you know, six to eight inches taller than every single one of them. So I play third base and hit the ball far, you know. Yeah. I will. I want to ask this. So in my experience with slow pitch softball, every league has one team where it's like uh, all it is is old guys and all they do is just fucking crank home runs. Right. Was that did you run into that as well? Where it's like there's one team. They're fucking so good. They all have their positions down. The pitcher is just like fucking throwing like all these junk slow pitch pitches. And these guys are just whacking 500 yard dingers or 500 foot dingers all fucking game. Is that absolutely, absolutely? Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, the I guess the more time you play, the more that you don't need to to run. You just get yourself in the right position and are able to make the plays routinely and know how things are going to come in. And then you know, once you learn how to hit and can harness the ability to hit, you can kind of hit at all times. Especially as you see older guys, they, they just know what to do and where to place the ball. So yeah, yeah, they don't even. Those are the type of guys that'll hit the ball and they know like all right i don't have to run the bases if i hit it this far so yeah <laughs> they're like everyone knows it's a home run i'm just you know I'm kind of nice. in, in most of my leagues when you hit a home run you just have to touch first and then you can walk off i to me to this day whenever i hit a home run i touch them all because i never know when the last time is going to be so i just want to make sure i touch them all and i'll take them I every like time that. I fucking, yeah. that's pretty nice I i'm taking you, the trip 
Yeah, I bet we should get a fucking like a TikTok clip of you fucking cranking a dinger. I bet you fucking send it. Jesus. <laughs> so, okay, so let's keep it going. So, like we said, so you play, so I want to get some work stuff and then we'll talk about you playing college ball when we get to that point in your work stuff. So, I want to start out your first job. And Justin, you, uh, you can attest to this as well, is that uh, you. So Pat started out wrangling the silver buffalo. Oh, used to be a set. Is he used to be a concrete cowboy? Oh, you know it. He was he was wrangling the silver buffalo at a grocery store. For those of uh, for those you don't know, he was a cart boy at the grocery store where you collect all the shopping carts and stuff. Were you bagging too and like cashier and all that or what? I I, honestly I I was so in my own head I don't know what I was doing I would just walk around and do whatever I want for get paid for the hours I worked there whatever was needed I would do but you know anybody who does that job knows that you just do enough to get by because you're not going to be there forever so yeah yeah that's yeah so all right so you're doing the card stuff you're like 15 and that was just kind of like your high school job for a little bit and then you were ended up being a cashier at a pharmacy is that right yeah, I worked at uh, Eckerd right down the street from my house. That was actually a pretty cool job. I got to, you know, deal with people. Like, it's kind of my niche of, of life is that I've always loved working with people and helping people find things, cashier, do anything. I just have a good interaction usually when I get face-to-face with people. So I enjoyed that job a lot and got to work with a lot of professionals that that took their job seriously and kind of molded me to be able to be professional while still having a personality. So, Oh, dude, that's great. You could be yourself and, like, but like you're, you've always been personable. I think too, it's like that. I think that's something that like your parents have a lot to do with, you know, because like, obviously your fucking dad is fucking captain charisma, you know what I mean? And like Mr. Personable and has the best laugh in the history of the world. Right. My, my, I'll shout her out. My wife was like, she at one time, she's like, what about your one uncle? Is he going to be there? And I'm like, well, which one? She's like, your uncle. Uh, <laughs> you know? His laugh, and I fucking lost it. I was like, that's, that's exactly, it. exactly to a T. He's got the one of the best laughs. Still got it to this day. He's doing real well. Yeah, good. Glad to hear. Hopefully, we'll have him on the show one day. So, oh, absolutely. I mean, I know he's a listener because everyone is. They just have to hit subscribe. So, all right. So let's keep moving. So you're a cashier at the pharmacy and you like doing that, right? Like that was fun. Yeah, I did. Absolutely. Yeah. And then after that, you moved, you worked at a gas station uh, until you were like 20, right? You're a cashier there or is that? Yeah. So what was going uh, on? There? Uh, that was when uh, things started to slide off the rails a little bit. So it was after like, like, obviously I went to college after I got out of the two years of college, I just took a job. I was originally working at a daycare which was awesome. I got to work with kids. That was like my true passion. I wanted to be a teacher when I was in college, kind of came to the conclusion that, you know, I couldn't take responsibility for myself. How was I supposed to take responsibility for 30 kids in the classroom? Got out of that, ended up at a gas station and developed a nice little drug problem. That was only a brief time, but it was a, uh, a very eye eye opening experience for the, all the things I didn't want to do, but fell into and, you know, became a part of and, you know, a lot of the problems when you're that young is you don't have the money to spend on that stuff. But when it's all being given to you for free, you kind uh, of, you know, don't know what to do. So you just yeah. do it all, you know? Yeah. What, uh, what was our what was our drug of choice? 
Uh, you know, a little bit of, you know, I, you know, I would like to say it didn't snow much in Doylestown unless you made it. So it was, you know, one of those experiences. Yeah. Like going up, going yeah. up, 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 up. Exactly. And I, like I said, if you know anything about me, I'm an up, up, up personality. So you put that in my system and I'm just a, I'm a speeding train, like just running right at you. You got to yeah. you're going to have a chance to get out of the way. Especially when you're in that kind of work, you're bored and you, you got time to yourself. It's a slippery slope. And if we're giving out free drugs, I mean, who has the strength to say exactly no? <laughs> that is that's got to be the toughest. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, OK, so let's talk about this then. So. You went to, so like we said, you played football in college. So you would go to Shenandoah for a year, right? Yep. So why did you leave Shenandoah? <clears throat> so um, going into Shenandoah, I, I got uh, changed. I was a defensive tackle all through high school. I get to college, and the first thing they look at you is like, you're this big, you're playing offensive tackle. And I was like, uh, I always played center, but I'll do whatever the team needs. I was right, a really, right. I, like I said, that year I played at Shenandoah, I was a great teammate. Um, I had a lot of great relationships with people. Yeah. Um, I was four hours away from home and just kind of never materialized into something I wanted to be that far away. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of, you know, I, I, I played that year. Funny enough, that year, our team was actually really good. We ran like uh, we ran the ball like 40 times a game. I didn't really play yeah. much. I long snapped occasionally. Nice. Um, I was the starting long snapper. Then I got pulled and then we made it to the NCAA playoffs. And where do we play at? Our first game in the NCAA playoffs, my only career playoff game in the NCAA playoffs, we played Delaware Valley, which is <laughs> Doylestown at Del Val. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, uh, I actually did see the field that game in the playoff game, but we actually blew an 11-point lead with like eight eight minutes left and ended up losing uh, to them when we should have had them. We had them done. We wasn't won. Del Val, like, didn't they win a bunch of championships in a row for a while? Weren't they, like, really good? They won their league. They pushed deep into this tournament. They were a really good team. Like I said, our team was kind of the underdog going in, but we were handling them really well. And then we took a terrible clipping penalty on a touchdown, and then it all just kind of disintegrated. I remember they had one, they put me into long snap because we had a punt block, and I came in coming cold to long snap on a the hard ground, and I think I the ball maybe got two inches off the ground, but ended up we got the punt off at least, which was good, but I think it was one of my worst long snaps of all time. Oh, Jesus. So, all right. Well, okay. So then after a year there, that's when you knew like, all right, I'm not about this. You know, I don't want to be on offense anymore. Did you want to be on defense or so what was the reason for leaving? So my reason for leaving was I missed home. My reason for leaving was I had a couple of falling out with teammates that were, it was, it was really weird. The whole situation kind of deteriorated. Honestly, like after the season ended, we ended up having a basketball league um, for like the players that played and like, you could pick guys from your dorm. And we had this, uh, the one thing about Shenandoah that I went for was it was basically equivalent of like an HBC, especially from a white guy that came from the suburbs, like that, that went to a basically all white school, like, it was very yeah. integrated. So, like, I built a team of basketball players that were, you know, half my team was white, half my team was black. We played all the football players in the game. We beat the crap out of them. We yeah. beat the crap out of them. But, like, while I was in the game, I went for a layup on a fast break and, like, had a, a teammate of my football teams, like, kick my legs out from my uh, And then it became, like, a really tenuous situation. I already was, like, kind of, like, I don't know if I want to go to the school anymore. And then it became, like, this big, like – I got accused of a bunch of things that were untrue. People tried to fight me. It was really weird. Like when I finally made the decision to leave. And one thing I give a lot of credit for is 
two of the best players on the football team that were one was a junior going to be a senior. The other one was graduating. You know, they both came up and thanked me on my way out for being a guy that kind of drove them to be better and succeed better. But like the, the guys that were in my age range were just kind of, and maybe some of it was warranted. I was still kind of a, a weird personality to get around. I was very supportive of my team. I would do anything for anybody. It's kind of like one of my flaws of being a, a nice guy is that you yeah. put yourself in too many situations that you can't control. And then, things happen and people take a look at you and you have to defend yourself. And it just wasn't my thing anymore. My time ran out there. If I looking back on it, I th- I wish I would have stayed and fought that out. I think things would have been a little different, but in yeah. the end, I don't have any regrets for it. You, you know, I went to, you know, I, I probably your next lead in is where I went to my second year, which yeah. is where I relocated closer to home and played for Moravian. And that was, I would say again, that was where the wheel started falling off for me. And I just wasn't, I wanted to play football. I ended up kind of, I was supposed to play football and work at school and I was kind of working for football and playing school. And it was just not, it was, it was not meant for me. I mean, I just, I, I wanted nothing more than to, to be a friend of everybody's and and do all the things necessary that I had to do, but I just wasn't mature enough to, to make those decisions at that point. So I needed to to get out. So I got out and stop wasting time. Do you think like, so, uh, like when you, did you think that you had like a different, like, uh, I guess I want to say stature, but maybe people perceived you differently when you were playing football in college, like before, like when we were younger, like, like knucklehead kind of like, you know, this freaking jerk kind of thing, but then you're playing football in college and like all this stuff and, and doing really well and successful at football. Do you think that got you like a different type of notoriety and like, you know, from people you knew, like they looked at you differently. Did you ever feel that? Yeah. I mean, like my, like I said, I, I, I was a guy that had uh, friends on the football team. A lot of the friends I had on the football teams that were, were guys that were probably never going to see the field. And a lot of the guys that were going to see the field, you know, I would try to work them really hard and that got into their way, some sort of way. And they, they, you know, kind of banded against me. Like I said, it's weird when you're playing division three football and you know, some of your teammates are on steroids and it's like, Hey, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Like, yeah, you lift more than me, but like, you don't really, you didn't really earn that as much as I'm trying to do what I'm doing. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like if I play on any team in any sport, I'm going to be a great teammate first. And everything else that comes from that is, is not going to be for a a lack of caring. I'm going to give you everything I got. I mean, that's the one thing we were all taught, you know? Yeah. I agree. I think your dad and my dad would have agreed on that. Like you're going to give everything you got to the people around you and you're going to work hard yourself, you know? Yeah. Team first always. Yeah. Agreed. That's the way, that's the way it should be too. And that's why you built like that also builds character. Because it's not, it, it takes away from selfish pursuits. So, okay. So you're in Moravian, you kind of have a come to Jesus meeting with yourself where you're like, this is, you know, I got to fucking shit or get off the pot here kind of deal. So then you leave Moravian and then is this when you started working at the gas station? Yeah. And just to, to be clear, like, to be honest about the situation, I wasn't doing myself any favors. Like I, I never would have been a guy that acted stupid, but I was, I, when I was playing football for Moravian, I can point to directly to a night before a game where I got, we played uh, Edward 40 hands. It was like, Oh uh, <laughs> fuck. Yeah. And my buddy still tells a story. Great. So you tied, you, you tape two forties to your hands. I think yep. I finished both of them in like 11 minutes. And I was just, because I, I was like, I got a game tomorrow. I got to drink this and get yeah. ready for the game tomorrow. It's yeah. like 7 o'clock on a Friday. And they're like, by 1.30 in the morning, I'm just plastered drunk. And oh. like, you know, I remember falling asleep in my dorm room, 
And then a coach knocking on my door at like seven in the morning to catch the bus. And I was already making the whole team late. And like I said, it was a terrible look. Like I set full responsibility for that situation. Like it was just kind of the wheels were starting to fall off. And I was lacking a maturity that you needed to do to get through college. You had to have an yeah. off switch. And I was starting to lose that control of the off switch, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone gets there, especially when you're young, you know, like you want to have fun. You want to experience this stuff. You want to, you know, hang out and people are talking about partying and all this stuff and you just want to do, you know, and you're, you know, have all this pent up energy and everything that you just want to get out. And it's, it's, a you know, it's more common than people think. So then you leave, so you leave Moravian, you're at the gas station now, things aren't going great. When did you, so how long were you in this funk at the gas station before you're like, fuck this, I'm better than this and got to move on? I'm telling you, it was probably three months and on, um, it was St. Patrick's Day. I don't remember the exact year, maybe 08, 07 or somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, I ended up, I was supposed to work like a four to midnight shift. At some point it was snowing, like literal actual snow. Um, <laughs> and I ended up calling the boss and saying, I'll work another eight hours. So I worked from like four in the afternoon till like nine o'clock the next morning, you know, with, you know, performance enhancing drugs coursing through my system. Right. I got out of work that day and I basically walked. So like, if you know, like 611 Eastern road and like, yeah. War, like Warrington area, I walked yeah. to the uh, Pennsylvania turnpike and caught an Uber. And I got to my sister's house cause they were having a party and I fell asleep for like eight hours. And my brother, my oldest brother, Mike uh, woke me up and like, I had everything in my wallet and he kind of just opened my wallet and found all the stuff. Uh, and it was a terrible look. And uh, I actually thank him to this day for what he did because it was a very tenuous situation. He was so pissed at me. And he's like, what uh, am I going to do to get through to you? Yeah. He's like, I know what I'm going to do to get through to you. Call your mother right now and tell her what you did. Oh, like, shit. I would rather be punched in the face than that. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Dude. like they said, and in the same vein, man, like also you tell your mother what you did and you're like, and they and they still support you. It's like the worst feeling in the world where they talk to you calmly and they try to make sense to you. And you're just like, man, I just disappointed like everything yeah. around me. Like the last thing I needed at this point was myself and I disappointed everybody, you know? Also, like, you know, you like there were kids at that party, I'm assuming, right? Or yeah. in the house. Bad look, man. That's a bad like look. I wasn't doing anything at the house. I was recovering, but I yeah. just got caught up in it. And like I said, an older brother's intuition is to know what it was from. And yeah. like I said, yeah. thankfully, my brother snapped me out of that really hard. And imagine I, if you, I made yeah. some changes. Yeah. Imagine if you didn't have a brother that was that would do that for you. You know what Absolutely. I mean? Like you'd be fucking shitsville. Dude, I'll tell you though, that was a fucking baller move calling your mom. <laughs> I know, I know. I still, I still, I, I, I still give him credit for it. It was, yeah. it was a great idea. Because like my thought is like I thought he would just punch you and smack you and stuff, but I, that wouldn't get through to you as much as like, like you'd be like fuck you, man, and it just turn into a tussle. And then he would probably like if he kept, you know, if he didn't like dime you out, and he's just like we're just talking kind of thing. Then you would it would just you'd just go right back down the path you were on, but. Yeah. Hit well that me. happened too i got smacked around a little bit too it was yeah. i got a little bit of both ends of it you know they, yeah. they, they knew how to rough you up and also yeah. hit, you hit you where it hurts you know yeah yeah <laughs> yeah 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 but i mean honestly it's kind of but it's also like that when you have people that you know truly care about you and truly have your best interest at heart it's you can listen to them it's when there's people that you don't trust that really care about you, like that you don't trust care about you 
that those is when it's tough to listen. But when you know it's your brother and your oldest brother that you always looked up to and your mom and like, you know, he, he wouldn't have done that unless he thought it was like he, he had to, you know yeah, what absolutely. I mean? So, absolutely. Good. And it's good that he did. So then it turned you around. So I remember at this time. So then after this, you worked for like a furniture, a furniture delivery driver, right? For, for, till, for like a couple of years, right? So what were you doing there? So I worked for uh, Gambers Furniture, like right down the street from where my high school was. Um, I think it was funny that my, my best friend, and still to this day is one of my best friends, um, got me an interview at this place. I took the job. Uh, he didn't get hired. He got me the interview and then he didn't get hired. And I did kind of an easy thing. He was like five foot six, a hundred pounds. I was coming in this, at my size. They're like, yeah, you can be the delivery guy. Like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're moving furniture here, guy. You know, like, yeah, gotta put some weight on here, dude. That's it was what, a, yeah. it was a fun, it was a fun job, but it was, it was just what it was. Like, I, you can't have a career out of doing that. I was 22 years old. I was doing all the right things, still built like that. But like, it was yeah. just one of those things where it was, it was, it was a job for a time and place, and that's what I did. You know, dude, that that is a young man's job, brother. Absolutely. I'll tell you that right fucking now. <laughs> you try that shit now, you're not gonna be able to walk the next day. You know what I mean? Like I'll say also too, and I bet, I bet we all get this where I'm always called to help people move. Do you, do you guys get the same all the fucking time? It's like, I'm a, a bigger guy, yeah. but I, I don't even own a truck, right? I have a Honda Accord and people same. are like, Hey, we need help. We need help moving. Do you think you can help me? I was like, I don't That's, have a truck. Really. I've gotten, yeah, yeah. I don't get that many requests, but I've gotten the oddest requests. Like I have a I had a guy one time who I, all I did was buy weed off him. And one time he asked me to help him move. And I was like, no, <laughs> are you out of your mind? The gateway <laughs> joke, bro. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, I wouldn't help my brother move. I'm not going to help you move. Yeah, He's like, yeah. well, I need somebody to drive the U-Haul truck. I was like, no, none yeah. of this is happening. Yeah. Just because I see you every day doesn't mean we're friends, buddy. Yeah, get the relationship be- right. Yeah, I'm don't not, get I'm feelings. Move. Yeah, oh, those drug dealers the and their worst. feelings. Don't yeah. I pay you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what if he said he'd throw you a couple bags? I mean, we're getting closer, but come on. <laughs> <laughs> Still a hard ask. Oh, like, I don't on. need this. Yeah, ask your real friends. So yeah. nice. All right, so let's keep it moving. So you work there. I tell you that 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 manual labor job. You're eating and you're sleeping, brother, and that's it, man. Like you're really like putting in the work. Like those manual labor jobs get you. So uh, all right, so let's move on then. And I remember this because we had like a going away party before this when you were you were you were door to door salesman in Virginia, right? So before you left, we went down to we had like a casino party down down in AC. Had a really nice night out, like had like a dinner, then went out and hit the tables and had some fun. And I remember <laughs> I remember I drove there with your brother, Rob, and his and his girl wife. Not, I think they were just dating at the time, but they were together and <laughs> we were. <laughs> yeah. So we were driving home and he said this joke and I pissed myself laughing where it was. We're driving home and his girl's telling the story of, man, we were at this casino and the, you know, the, the cocktail waitresses, they were all Russian and right. And I was like, oh, wow, really? And then your brother's like, yeah, it was super busy. They're Russian everywhere. And I fucking thought <laughs> it was the funniest. I just remember that being, I fucking pissed myself laughing. <laughs> I just thought that was so funny. I don't know. I mean, it's funny enough that I remember it. And that was what, 12 years ago, 11 years ago. <laughs> So that's an impact. Shout out, Rob. 
So uh, either way, so we have the, the gimmick going away thing in AC, then you head to Virginia and you did a job that, dude, oh man, this is, that's a tough gig. What was it like to have 50 doors slammed in your face every day? Shoot, it was, it was probably the uh, harshest reality to realize that like when you're doing that job that you're, you're literally on your own and the only thing you can rely on is your personality. <laughs> and most people don't want a random stranger trying to come up to you and explain their personality. What, what, were you, uh, what were we hustling door to door? So it was, uh, it was a place called Long Fence and Home. So it was basically giving quotes on anything but the fences because they were like notoriety, like they had like a, a huge thing for being a fence provider, but they also did all all these other things. So our job was to go door to door, offer them free quotes on their stuff, uh, and basically partially misuse the truth and say you're doing work in the neighborhood and all these things and yada yada yeah, yada. Trying to get them to sign house. up every time you get somebody signed up, you get fifty bucks, and that was the thing. I was terrible at it. Yes. I was terrible at it. I didn't. I don't. I don't like to sell things I don't believe in, and I don't believe yeah. in you know gutter guards for your roof like it's just like it's not a thing for me you know tough to I, support the product Nobody. yeah my, my best friend who brought me down there was was he was an absolute rock star at it but he had this thing is called indifference where i would did not have any of that <laughs> yeah he just had total eye on the prize i'm only here for the money disease yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> some people can be really good at that that's not a bad thing you know no dude hey man I would, that's uh, a, that is a skill what's up Jared? i went i went from them showing up at the door like sliding off the couch laying on the floor just wait till they go away to like now i just i'll be on the couch so i just go no like, no i'm not home go away i'm not doing it i don't want to do it they like what? knock one more knock one more time like no it's not happening just beat yeah. it <laughs> what did you what did, did what was the worst experience you had pat with a like going to someone's door do you remember uh i just remember being approached a couple of times by people like neighborhood associations basically like threatening me like when i like i was only going where they told me so i would go to these places yeah. where they told me you'd start doing it and then all of a sudden somebody would come out with a huge attitude at you and just be like hey man uh, like I, I I I'm not from Virginia. I don't yeah. live out here. Like I'm 22. I, I, yeah. Like <laughs> that's what I'm going to right now. Yeah, I'm just going to leave your neighborhood and I'll worry about how I get paid later. You know. Yeah, yeah. They give you a hard time about the accent. You're like, yeah. who's a stranger? Exactly. Yeah. What y'all Yankees doing down here? This it's, is Virginia. Yeah. I remember the this first time crossing Virginia. into like that's my aunt lived in Virginia. And I was like, oh, this is. The South is this close to Pennsylvania? Like, Mason, I thought we had to go brother. much further. To so people like, oh, you talk funny. I'm like, no, you talk funny. Yeah, yeah man. exactly. The Battle of Bull Run was right across <laughs> the Mason-Dixon, baby. I had no idea. Yep. Yeah, Alexandria is like a hop and a skip away from D.C., right? Yeah. Yeah. Virginia is a fascinating state, if you think about it. A lot of great history with that. Robert E. Lee was from there. And the reason that he he had a chance to be the like he would be the commander in chief of the Union Army in the Civil War. But he said he could never turn on the great state of Virginia. So, yeah, that's why Robert E. Lee did it. I guess something about that old Virginia. And it's not even the West one. It's the normal one. So. All right. So let's keep it moving. Uh, you did the door-to-door -door gimmick. You left that, right? And then were you still in Virginia when you were a dishwasher at a cafe? No, that was my grand return to Philadelphia where really? I was. Uh, I came back to Philly. I had no job. And I was like, I'm sick and tired of doing nothing. Yeah. So I actually, you know what? When I first moved back um, to Philly, I took a job at Renaissance. 
Okay. Now, the funny thing about moving to Philly and working at Rena Center is that I took a job at 63rd and Woodland Avenue. Yeah. Which, if anybody knows, that's Southwest Philly, a little bit different of an area. But, sure. you know, same thing. I wasn't going to have him probably finding a job being a repo guy or the delivery guy because of the sheer size of me. Yeah. Um, I actually thought the experience was great. Um, I, 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 you know, looking back on it, I was in way over my head in neighborhoods I wasn't probably supposed to be in because um, yeah. I would work at 63rd and Woodland Avenue. And then I, one of my coworkers lived at 12th and Susquehanna. So I was hanging out in Southwest Philly and like the middle of North Philly. And like, you know, it came to a point where I worked that job for a while. And finally, my uh, my coworker's dad came up to me and he's like, hey, he's like, I think you have a lot of potential in life. He's like, but you need to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> he's like, I appreciate the, the, the lessons you teach my son. You're, you're a really good guy. But like, I don't want to see anything happen to you. You got to go. And it was like I wasn't even doing anything stupid. It wasn't like it was I was making mistakes like a smoking pot you know, hanging out with people, but like, it just wasn't the life for me. And he saw something in me. And I, to this day, I respect that man for being an honest, like I, I'm just a yeah. friend that came out of the at, at, at a, your left field and said, you know, you, you can do better things. Yeah. You know? Honestly. Yeah. It's not a bad thing. If someone comes up to you and says, Hey buddy, you're too good to be dishwashing at my cafe. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of a kick in the pants that you kind of like, you know what I mean? So, exactly. all right. So then that moves us on to where we're at now. And are you cool with saying the name of the company you're at? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So you started out in J-Dub, another dink here. Uh, he was a medical supply driver for a company called Navix. Right. Navix. 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 Fuck yep. on me. It's called Navix. Sorry. <laughs> so medical supply driver for Navix. So when you started out here, so give us a little background. You started out, like you got the job here, right? And you came in here, like you were kind of like a man on the mission at this point, right? You're like, look, I fucking, is it, was, did you need to turn your life around or are you going to, and then something happened that you needed to, or where were you at when you started here? So I, when I, I took a job for like two weeks working for like LabCorp where I was like just picking up specimens and dropping them off. And yeah. I, I just like completely melted down doing it. Like I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have a working cell phone. I didn't know like have GPS on my phone. I would just get constantly lost. I was like, I can't do this. Yeah. So I didn't have a job. And I, I you know, I, I, I called my dad who's been in, vascular ultrasound and medical supply for years and he was uh you know very high up in the company that that you know navix at the time um he's since retired from that job and it does another job now but i kind of looked and i said do you have anything i can do and he's like yeah i have i need a delivery guy to do you know 16 hours of work a week and i was like i'll take it you know at that time i was in a in a relationship with a woman that um it's just weird like you know looking back on it I was kind of the person that the only thing I was missing that I wanted was sex fun peace of mind get away from you know the everyday yeah, rigmarole you wanted an escape I yeah. call it I call it uh my airplane right like so it would be the airplane is the what you think of it takes you to a destination where everything is okay right so when you get on this airplane you know that this airplane is the ride you want to be on because it's taking you to your vacation or taking you to your safe spot or taking you somewhere better than the place you're at right yeah. so it's your escape from the place you're at is your airplane so you just kind of wanted your airplane here to give you some escape from the world that you've created around you that you weren't necessarily happy with right yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. We've all, dude, we've all been there, brother. And it's not a bad thing, you know, like to be fair, I know I've been some chicks airplanes too. You know what I'm saying? Like it goes all the, all the ways, you know? And like, it's not like you don't have feelings and emotions for these person. You generally care and you generally like these people. Right. And it's not a bad thing to just be two people that don't know what they want, don't know where they're at, kind of dealing with the situations of their life and want to share each other for an escape. There's nothing wrong with that. And exactly. that's, yeah, we've all been there. You know, I was in a relationship with a woman 10 years older than me. Um, she had a house. I had a job. She had a kid from a previous relationship that was living with her grandmother. I came in as a person of family and, and wanted to, you know, fix things about her. She provided things for me. It was uh, abusive in the sense that because of that job, uh, because of, you know, she worked part-time at like the Spectrum or what is the Wells Fargo Center. Yeah. So I got to go to every sporting event or anything I wanted to go to for free at any time, you know, so Not and, a bad get, shout. Get friends in and I, like the thing about it is I would get my friends in, we pay her cash. She, it was a supplemented income to try to do things. So like I was able to go and see things and do all that stuff, but it was just two people who abused each other without being physically abusive to each other, just abuse each other's strong points and strengths and weaknesses, you know? Yeah. Um, and it was, it was, you know, you learn from all these experiences. Like I have no regrets about the experiences I came from. I have no regrets about, you know, where, what I, what I did because I had to learn how to uh, adjust on the fly and figure things out on my own. And I think yeah. that was the one thing I lacked. And, you know, you mess around too much, you get yourselves into situations where you can't, um, you can't undo it. And what happened to me was that we got pregnant. We got, we had a daughter, you know, we, this was, this was it. The day I found out I was going to be a dad, like that specific moment, I knew my life was going to change forever. And I knew that all the excuses that I made are no longer excuse that can no longer be excuses. Like I have to grow up and I have to grow up now. Yeah. And when I made that decision to grow up, I, you know, outwardly made the decision and said, Hey, we're not going to be together because this isn't like, I need to do more. I'm going to have to do way more to be in this situation, but I'm going to be an amazing father and I'm going to provide however long it takes for it all to work out and be okay. And it was very tough when you're seeing somebody struggle, but like I was there for every appointment. I was there for everything I had to be at. I, I you know, I was there every step of the way. You know, people can look at it from the outside and make their own opinions. But like, I, I, I knew in that moment that I needed to grow up. And that yeah. was the start of, of, of me wanting to grow up and, and, and do these amazing things. And yeah, I don't think if it wasn't. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, <laughs> I remember where I was. I was I was uh, I went to go see a friend for his birthday. So I drove to central New Jersey. I got out there, had a so so experience out there but got a call literally 30 minutes after I, after I got there, my ex called me. She's like, I'm pregnant. I was like, you waited until I drove an hour and a half out of the way to get this. Like, this is, this is like, I see what you're doing here. Yeah. But like I said, I, I turned my ass around and I went home. And yeah, I, no, it's I, you know, scary, man. Like you're still smoking and drinking and <clears throat> having a good time. And then you're like, I have to stop everything. I got to change it all. And I got to stick to it. And it's a, uh, well, it's a much, not even that man. Like I, you know, not, not even that, like you don't just stop everything on a dime. You just realize that you're going to have to change. And, and from those changes, you're able to gain more responsibility. And like I said, for, for that whole experience, as people were looking at you saying like, you know, who is she to do this to you? Who is this? It's like, it's like, whoa, 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 wait, let's take a step back. You know, 
who I, I, I have to be 51% responsible for every decision I make. Right. You know, like yeah. these are things that I learned, like from, from the, all like those bad experiences, fucking... I came out with the 51% rule. And that is wherever you are, time and place, if something happens, you're 51% responsible for it at the least. That you is know, a that's, fucking great shout. Yeah. You know, that's even when you're right. hanging in North Philly and people are acting stupid around you, like you put yourself in that situation, whether they're part of your party or not, like you have to be aware of your surroundings at all times. You have to protect yourself at all times. This is simple stuff. We've learned this all our since we were kids. We watch boxing. We watch. We've heard it repeated a thousand times, you know. But it never registered. And like I said, but when I found out it was going to be a dad, it all started to register, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, what? A, so first off, thank you for sharing that. So you are. That is one of the best fucking things I think we've heard on this show. That you are fifty-one percent responsible for every situation you are in. And that is so fucking true, right? It might not be all of it. Like, you know, it's, yeah, you're you're responsible for your actions. But J-Dub, I see it's just the thought of it fucking terrifies you right now. That if you got to call oh, saying that I'm fucking knocked <laughs> up, right? Like, you would piss yourself. Honestly, dude, oh, like, gosh. that is, like, dude, that is fucking scary. And I remember being in situations where it was like, you know, you have a scare or something like that, and you're fucking shitting bricks for a couple weeks until Aunt Flo arrives, and you're just like, golly. But then <laughs> to be in a situation where you and your – she was your ex at the time, so you guys weren't even together. She – like, so this kind of – you found this out after you guys had split up. So literally what happened was we got pregnant, and within, like, two weeks, I was like, listen, we, we're going to – we're not working on us anymore. We're breaking up, but, like, I am – totally 1 million percent dedicated to raising this child and doing everything that I need to do, but I need to have more space to do it because we're two irresponsible people. And when you look around in the room and I'm looking at myself saying I have the capabilities to be more responsible, it's a problem because yeah. I know where I came from and I know who I was and I know, like, I know all that. And it's like, I have to, I have to figure this out. I don't know exactly what I'm going to do, but I'm going to figure this out. So yeah. part of that was, I latched onto my job at Navix. I, yeah. I said, I'm going to do everything I can to make my way right now because I don't know what else I can do. Like, I don't yeah. know where I can go. I don't know what, what what's going to become of me. But I know if I dedicate myself to my career right now, I have a chance. And that's all we can go with is the chance because, yeah. you know, you, you got you to gotta figure it out. You don't have much time. You don't have much wiggle room. You're going to have to have money and be able to provide. And that's what I yeah. did, you know? Yeah. And, you know, that's like what a said, fucking man does. That's yeah, what a was, fucking man does. We were living in a place at uh, like Frankfurt and Monmouth, which is like a bad area. Like yeah. we lived above the Chinese store. There were bugs and everything everywhere. Yeesh. And I'm like, listen, we're, we're, we're not paying rent here anymore. I'll move you wherever you need to go. I'm going to go back to my mom's place. This is where I need to make a, a launching pad to be able to do it. And like I said that, you know, in I, I did everything I thought was best, you know, in that same situation, you know, you watched, you know, I took care of my ex. We had a daughter, my, uh, my daughter, Layla, who was my best friend in the world. Um, we went into labor on a Friday morning. We went to an appointment at like 11 o'clock in the morning. And on Sunday at like eight o'clock, we had our, my daughter and it was, uh, it was crazy. The whole experience, it was crazy. Like, so we're in, she's, they're trying to get her labor for like, 26 hours 36 i'm like we're going to induce so then we're going to do a c-section and they're like they put me in a room by myself and like an hour and a half later they're like she's going to have the baby now and i walk in and they got her like filleted open in front of me. i walk in and i'm like oh my god 
Yeah. And like, I walk behind her and I'm like talking to her. And I'm like, Hey, I'm here. You know, like yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm here to be strong for you. I'm here to take care of us. And she's like, I feel terrible. And I look back <laughs> to the, the anesthesiologist like, she feels terrible. And he's like, ask her how she feels now. And he takes his little finger out and he goes like this on one of these tubes. And she's like, I feel better. <laughs> these, guys are, these guys are insanely good at their job. So when, that they, is the best. when they finally got my daughter, they, she's born and they hand her to me. And I'm like, Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. this, this is literally the moment that I was like waiting for my whole life was to meet this person that I created when I didn't even know I was creating her. And then in that moment, I was like, I know what responsibility is. Yeah. I may not get it fully, but I actually understand the word now. Yeah. And they're like, Hey, you know, do all these things. And, you know, I had to feed her a bottle. They gave her, I gave her a bottle. There was like four ounces in it. She yep. chugged the whole thing. Nice. Like I would do. And then the nurse was like, I didn't tell you to give her that much. So I was like, you just handed me a bottle and said, go. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. Day one lady. You did this. Yeah. No, but um, we had our daughter and, and, you know, I, I still had a lot of growing up to do. Like I said, I still like, I, you know, in that moment as a parent, you know, I had to, um understand a few things one of them was that you know the way i view family is if a mother has a child it's their right to raise that child as long as they're not doing damage to themselves as long as they're not being reckless to themselves it is a woman's right that they gave birth to a child to have that child so i yeah. knew going into having my daughter that my daughter was going to be spending time with her mother more than she was going to be spending with me but i had to figure out what to do with my time and how i was going to approach that situation and be able to facilitate needs for my daughter and you know, be able to take care of them. When my daughter was very young, the house that she lived in with her grandmother, they, they lost the house. They didn't pay the bills on the house. They lost the house. So my daughter's a very young age. They're like, Hey, we're going to like, I don't know if you know anything about Jersey. There's this thing called TANF. It's like a, where they help families in need. But part of the reason they do that is they have to go after the parents of the children you know, and make them pay for their responsibility. So like originally when my daughter was born, I was paying her cash. Part of them losing their house was that they had to go after me in a legal sense. So I had to go to court. Yeah. Being that I paid her all along in cash, I went to court and they were like, we don't have any record of you ever paying money. You owe us this amount of money plus an extra $5,000 from all the assistance we've given oh, you. On on. So listen, I go to court and I have to like, you know, face these people. And I'm like, I tried to explain to the judge. I'm like, listen, I've paid her all this time. Like I, like I'm, I'm not a, you know, by any stretch of the means, I'm not a like delinquent parent. Like I, yeah. nothing more than to raise this kid and be a part of her life. Like I will do anything for her. Like there's no, like, there's no argument about it, but like I paid her all along and they're like, well, if you want to pursue that, you know, at some point she's going to get caught up in a fraud charge and you know, that's not going to be good. And I'm like, listen, this is my bullet to bite. This is my 51% in action right now. This is like, I don't want to cause trouble with her. I don't want to bury somebody else to get what I deserve. Like, yeah. I think all along that, you know, part of me believes that I could have been a better parent and I could have provided more, but that's not the situation I created. And I had to treat that situation, you know, in a better way, yeah. you know? So I, 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 I ate that bullet. I said, all right, take my money, take the thing. You're not going to take my relationship with my kid. Like that's yeah. the you know? Yeah, you're not taking your kid away from you. Yeah, but too much. That's my, a fucking tough dude. That's a fucking that's a fucking man move there, brother. But that's a but, big shit sandwich to eat. But to my uh, ex's credit, like they put him in like this crappy motel off of like the 
like it was just like you drive by it and you'd be like that's where people that do bad things hang out at but this is yeah. where they had families that were having major problems and like a lot of people that were going through the same things and i was just kid coming from you know a suburban way of living that knows you know knows better what the surroundings for a child should be and i had a very serious conversation with her mother and i said hey listen like i will pay you exactly the same amount of money but I need, I need, Layla needs to live with me. Like my daughter needs to live with me, you know, yeah. like she until, needs a stable home until you, until this is figured out, she this is to. what needs to happen. And, and to my ex's credit, like she trusted me and said, I'm going to do this. I don't want to. And I'm like, I don't want you to have to do this, but as soon yeah. as you're back on your feet, you will have her back. Like I, I give you my word. Yeah. You know? So we, we, we made it work and it, and it took, two people coming together, even when there was two irresponsible people coming together to make a sound decision, you know, and to, to put trust in that I wasn't going to go turn around. Cause you know, and anybody that knows this, you get into a custody battle with people. It becomes some of the ugliest things you ever do. Anything you've ever done wrong in your history, they were willing to go after. But like when you have two people, like, like we did, we, we consciously made a decision and sh I told her the truth, you know? Yeah. So I helped her. I paid for her to get a place in Philly. I, I helped pay those bills to get them started I, I, you know, I did everything I could, you know, everything I could to, to give her a, a chance to be the parent she, she was going to be, you yeah. know, it's all fighting over. Yeah. You, it's you, shitty, you, but it's yeah. also really good of you. Yeah. You did the right thing and you stepped up and that's great, man. Proud of you. That's an awesome, I mean, dude, I'll tell you, it is, and it is a strange feeling and a good friend of mine, Jay Bowers, friend of the show, listener of the show. Uh, he, he told me this and it's so true. It's that when when you have a kid and dude, little girls, it's a fucking it, a daughter is a it's a big it was a big thing for me, you know, like because if it's a little boy, I'm just going to treat it like a fucking little pit bull. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just like do whatever. But if it's a girl, it is the most delicate thing there is. Right. So I remember he told me this and it was so fucking true that when the baby's born. Right. The mother has like a maternal instant, like a maternal connection instantly right and the dad yeah you love it because it's your kid but you don't have like this intense connection and then one day you're like a couple months in you look down and you look at this kid and you think like you just know there's nothing in the world you wouldn't do for this fucking kid right and you know like this is yours and you're gonna do everything for this fucking kid and dude it's giving me chills just thinking about it Man. but it's like it's it's the truest thing so when you knew that, like you knew, like in Vince McMahon's got a great saying, he says, you're going to have to eat shit and like the taste of it. And you knew you're going to have to do that for a little while if it was what was best for your kid, because the kid always comes first. And that's what a fucking a dad does. And that's the real shit, man. And I'm fucking that's a that's a real thing, man. And I'm proud. Of I you. appreciate that. I mean, but like I said, man, there was there was the side like looking back on it. I didn't I never thought of it, but looking back on it, like it was depressing. Like yeah. I had I, I was living at my mom's house upstairs in my room. I had my daughter once a week, every other weekend. Yeah. And I would go home with days without her and I'd hold myself up in my room, smoke a bunch of pot, play video games, yeah. just completely try to, to numb the feeling that I was like, I need to be more active, but I didn't have the right at that time to be. Yeah. So like, it was just like, it was very hard. You know, it was, you know, every Thursday yeah. night, my family had dinner and I was supposed to take my daughter and have dinner with my family. It was my brother, Mike, my oldest brother and his family and then, and me and my daughter and my mother. And you know, I remember one night I got home from work. It was my day with Layla and I got a call from my boss. And she's like, I need you to drive to Queens, New York right now. And I was like, no, 
And she's like, Pat, there's nobody else to do it. Like you have to do it. And I'm like, uh... I'm like, fine. So I'm driving out to New York. I had to drop my daughter off and leave her with my mother. And I'm I'm just fuming mad. Like I'm I'm in tears driving because I'm like yeah. they took my job week. took my job took away my right to have my daughter. And I, I called my mom and I said, Mom, this isn't fair. I'll never let this happen to my kid again. This is not gonna be my the way we're raised. And my mom said, Tough shit. You're gonna have to do a lot of things you don't want to do as a parent, and you're gonna have to you're gonna have to swallow a lot of it. Like you said, you're gonna have to eat shit and like it. Yeah. I mean, my mother wouldn't say it like that. She says it a little more class. But that's exactly <laughs> what it was. And this is coming from you know my mother, who's been through her own divorce and been through her own thing, and she's had six kids, lost a kid. Like yeah. you see all these things, their whole experience, and she's like, eat eat shit. Go yeah. go make money. Your kid needs yeah. that to survive more than yeah. she needs a, a night with her daddy right now. So go do it. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? You're right. Yeah. I need, I, but I, but I, I want in my future, I want to be able to spend that time. So whatever I'm doing now, I got to be building to something that's going to give me the stability to be able to be there all the time. Yeah. He, Which is what I did, you know? Yeah. And that, but it took some time, but also it's like, you know, it is a catch 22 when you're a dad, because your wife will say, you know, you're never with, you're never home. Right. It's because you're out like you're trying to make money. Right. Like you're always working or you're always doing it and it's you're trying to make money. But then if you're home all the time, they're saying we don't have any money. You know what I mean? So it's like a catch 22. And that's where you're at where you were working to you're going through your job. You're staying with Navix and you're trying to build a better future for you and your daughter. And then something would happen where you turn from a part time parent to a full-time parent. Are you cool to talk about this? Absolutely, man. Like I said, I, any story I tell, I, I will refuse to tell a story without a happy ending. And um, so I'm at work. My daughter's five years old. She's in kindergarten. I was okay. uh, like 4.30 in the afternoon. I was, Your daughter's uh, nine now, right? Yeah, she's turning 10. She'll be 10 next month. Okay. So it's actually, it's it's kind of the timing of it all. It's very crazy. My daughter's birthday is October 16th. On October 24th, it's like 4.30 in the afternoon. I get a call from my uh, daughter's mother's mother. And she tells me that she thinks that, that her daughter just passed away. And I'm like, holy shit. What, like in that moment, like everything stopped around me. And it's like, I need to, I need to leave here. I need to get to their house and I need to figure out what to do. And I get there. And like I said, my, my daughter has a half brother who's like 10 years older than her. And I, pick them up and I, I I get to the house and there's, you know, uh, paramedics everywhere. And I walked up to one of the paramedics. I'm like, Hey, I'm the, you know, this, my daughter's in the house. Like I need to, you know, get the kids. Like I don't, what's going on. And they're like, she's, she's gone. Like in an instant, like I, I got the call at four 30 in the morning at four 30 in the afternoon at five o'clock in the morning, I am the single parent to my daughter. And now I have to, now I have these two kids in my possession and I have to, explain to them what happened i have to explain it to a five-year-old and i have to explain it to a 16-year-old and i have to do it separately now same thing i I took them to the mcdonald's down the street i got them food you know i did everything i I could do to to, you know anything i could think of that would give them an ease of mind and and, and go where they needed to go and i just remember going through that situation and like i tell her son first because he's a little more coherent to be able to hear it. And then I bring my daughter out and I explain to her and she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, yeah, he's fine. And I'm like, yeah. listen, like, we're going to figure this out. This is a very terrible situation, but like, you're my best friend. Like we're going to find our way through whatever's going on and we're going to, we're going to take care of everything. And I just remember like that night going home, like I brought the, both the kids I gave the, the, I told the grandmother, I was like, Hey, I'm going to take the kids overnight. You know, I'll bring, 
you know, her son back, you know, but I'm just going to give him a chance to decompress without having to be in the house where everything just happened. Like my daughter, yeah. like her mom went to take a nap. My daughter was next to her. Like she's gone. And the, you, they're the whole process of trying to figure out what to do. Um, so that happens. And it's like, people will tell you, like, you know, even people told me they were like, you know, you will, you, you're always going to be a great dad. You, you know, th th this is a, this could be a blessing in disguise. And I'm like, you don't understand what you're talking about. Like if I had to trade the next 30 years of somebody hating me so that my daughter had her mother, like I would choose yeah. 30 years of somebody hating me. Like it's, yeah. there's not even a question about this. Like no, no yeah. daughter deserves to be without her mother. No Agreed. son deserves to be without a kid that the kids are supposed to bury, you know, the kids are supposed to bury the parents, you know, or sorry, the parents are supposed to bury the, you know what I mean? We, we yeah. know what you're saying. Yeah. So, a kid, a, a daughter especially needs her mom. Yeah. Exactly. You know especially. And if you wanted, yeah, if you wanted to, that you had multiple opportunities where you could have taken that kid from her, and yeah, you were never going to do that. Very. You weren't people. asking for this. This wasn't a. This wasn't a, a better solution to you in any way. It's, no. It's sad. And you're, you're in this situation where like you're just like this is this is eight days after my kid's birthday this is you know she's uh, just starting kindergarten yeah which is in the middle of her kindergarten uh, year and all this crap is happening and you're just like oh my gosh and you do the right things you 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 set the standard it's not like like you you have to set the standard you have yeah, people yeah. that are looking up to you and saying where do i go from here and they don't know any better so yeah. you have to provide that light yeah. and it's a very tricky situation but like with that whole situation I was able to start to carve something very special with my kid. Man. And my daughter always knew that I loved her more than anything. And it was, it was, it was not a matter of if and when it was, that'll always be there no matter what happens. So now that we have these new marching orders, we're going to, we're going to figure this out. Yeah. Um, and again, my oldest brother bought a house in Langhorn PA. I, uh, he had a house that he owned in Philadelphia and he said, I'll give you a good deal on rent, move into this house, you know, start, start being the dad you need to be like you have your own now like this is your situation yeah. that we have to deal with yeah so um it was it was a crazy couple of months like you're taking your kid to therapy sessions at you know five years old trying to figure out what to do like you're trying to get them to open up and and be this thing and the one thing that that you'll notice if you ever have seen my daughter or anything about her like she's just this being of positivity and light and i'd like to think that part she's of it has beautiful to do girl with, man Part of it has to do with job. the way you talk to them. And part of it has to do with them just having this intuition about themselves. Yeah. And, you know, uh, fast forward to March of that year. Um, I was a Sunday. I had the, my brothers and all of them went on a golf trip to Florida and they were flying back to Atlantic city airport. Okay. So it's about the, you know, let's say 10 to March. So it's five months after her mom passes away. So you're um, five months into being a full-time dad, five months into being a full-time dad. And, okay. um, I get a call from my, uh, my sister and she's like, your daughter got burned. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, uh, is she okay? Like, yeah, she's okay. And I'm like, uh, like, do I need to come home right now? She's like, I think you need to come home right now. Okay. So my daughter was being a kid, yeah. jumped off a table, hit a yeah. pan of oil and just spilled it all over herself. Oh <laughs> God. So you're in, you're in this, you're in this situation and you're like, Oh my, like, I didn't realize it at the time. Like my job was to leave Atlantic city and go straight to uh, St. Christopher's hospital. And I, yeah. and I just went there and I, I remember like talking to my mom, like my mom who was there when it happened, I, I hold, you know, my mom's the greatest thing I, I think I ever taught me how to love in the world. So like, yeah. I wasn't coming from this place of anger or anything. I was just like, Hey, we have this new set of circumstances to deal with. Let's, let's provide the example for her. Yeah. 
So I remember walking into the hospital and like, I was like, I need here to see my daughter. And I walk in and my kid, they got her face bandaged up. She's like puffed out to this size. And she's, I walk in and she goes, that's my dad. Uh, everything's gonna be okay my dad's here yeah i'm like oh my god there's no better feeling than you know i mean this kid kid, she knew it when i walked in the door she said that's my protector and i'm like you don't understand that you turn my life around so much here like this isn't this isn't anything i'm worried about you're so much tougher than anybody could ever realize like we're gonna take this as it comes we're gonna figure it out yeah not knowing that i spend the next 10 days in the icu with her trying to get her to recover and like part of the whole recovery process is like every morning they take your kid they shoot them up with a bunch of ketamine and they scrape her burns off so that they can get her skin to regenerate and this is like every day for like four or five days you're just sitting there having to get her through to that moment and and just be there and it's like you're 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 in there and you're in that moment and then a doctor comes in and they're like hey listen your kid's been here six days we're gonna have to put a feeding tube in her and i'm like whoa 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 so like I, I get this, I had this bad interaction with this doctor, and I'm, like, I'm yeah. like, I don't, I don't like what you're throwing down right now. Yeah, there's some so doctors I, that I fucking almost clean their clock if they weren't a fucking woman. Yeah. I'll tell you that. So, so I grabbed ahead. the nurse. I grabbed the nurse, and I'm like, listen, I don't think you've ever stressed to me the importance of her weight loss. Like I don't think you ever made it apparent to me that we were in a danger zone. Like you didn't give me any chance to try to overcome it. And she's like, I believe you. And I was like, I was like, can you just tell me what we need to do? And I will do it like right now. Like, yeah, obviously what you guys are doing is from a medical side. Like you got to let me come in as the parent and describe these things to a child. Yeah. My child, like who's, who's gone through literal hell and is not stopping, but you didn't explain it to her properly. And I walked into my daughter and I'll never forget it. I walked in, I said, lay, this is the facts. I told you I wouldn't lie to you. They, they want to put a tube inside to help feed you and gain your weight, but I don't think it's necessary but I need you to do something for me right now. She's yeah. Like, I'll do whatever you want, dad. And I'm like, yeah. all right, here's three insured drinks. And they're like little ones like this big, like the little insured yeah. drinks. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, we need to drink these yeah. right now in front of these people. And yeah. she just like popped them off, chug, pop them off, chug, <laughs> pop them off, chug, <laughs> slams, them on, the, slams face, them on the ground. And she's like, she's like, is that what you wanted, dad? I'm like, that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted. That's We're going to get great. out of here. We're going to get out of here real soon. I promise you. So on oh, my on my birthday, great. March 26th, they they let her out. We got out of the hospital, and it was the greatest birthday gift I ever got in my life. That's you know? the fucking best, man. That's dude. crazy, dude. And that, I, that's dude. I'll tell you two things, right? I I have had literal nightmares of if something was to happen to my wife, and I would have to explain to my daughter that you know something happened to mommy. And if she asks for mommy after that, or like, where's mommy? It literally fucking, that is a nightmare that I have. And it's so terrifying. And you had to live that. And then five months into it, like, I can't imagine, dude, if I like, so, okay. So my daughter had fallen off the bed a couple months back and she had what's called a bone spur because at their age, at her age, her bones are so soft that they'll bend before they break. Right. Mm-hmm. So she had a bone spur and she was like coddling it. And you look at her like, and she's in pain and it fucking breaks you inside. Right. So having to see your fucking daughter who is literally your entire life right now, and you're just trying to get your shit together and do your thing as a parent. And like, you're living a, a brand new life and having to go through this literal fires of hell 
with this fucking angel. God damn it, man. That'll put some fucking hair on your chest, brother. Absolutely, man. I remember road. I remember getting home with her. And like part of the deal with getting home was that like literally the skin has to heal again. So it all becomes a scab. It's just like it was, you know, her forehead or her chest and her arm. Yeah. And I, I was sitting at this computer, this exact computer, and I just my daughter was walking up to go get a shower or do something. And I could just I, I don't know if I saw her out of the corner of my eye, but like she had her head down and I was like, what's up? And she walked up to me. She's like, dad, I just want to be beautiful again. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. Took my glasses off. And I just looked at her and I said, Layla, you're the most beautiful thing I'll ever see in this world. You will be the most beautiful thing ever. No matter what you look like, no matter what happens to you, you are the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. And I watched this, this child, my child, like just, she short circuited and just like beamed with this smile. And I was like, we can do anything. Yeah. Like we, you, you get it now. You get it that like the only thing I don't want you to do right now is grow up too fast. The, the <laughs> world has thrown you repeated <laughs> fastballs in, and and you're getting curveball after curveball after curveball, yeah. waiting for this fastball to knock out of this part. The only thing we're not going to do is grow up too fast. And what we're going to do is we're going to take step by step together. And wherever wherever we go, we're going to be together. And wh- whoever's there, you like. You know, I deal with it even to this day where she there's days where she misses her mom. And I say, you miss your mom and that's OK. You yeah. know, you don't have to be perfect every day. You don't have to. We live in this like we live in a place where where like people want you to be so good at everything. And I'm not telling you to do that. You be the best version of you every day and I'll keep molding around you until you take the reins for yourself. You know, she's turning 10. I got another 10. 20 30 whatever years to yeah, do man. whatever i can to support her yeah. but she's got to be a light for herself and that's why i said she's high energy she's talkative she runs her mouth she's crazy beautiful child but she's never kind of reminds me of a kid i used to know reminds me of me yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 i know Fuck I know. Yeah. It's the thing man it's like when you start when you start teaching your kid the same things that you remember from being a kid and yeah. you know all the things you went through and you start to understand that respect you have for your own parents who were trying to do the same thing for you, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and you, you got pissed off and especially in your teens when you were like, you don't get me. And they, they yeah. totally got you. Yeah, they, just, yeah, yeah. they just needed to watch you fall a few times so that you started to learn it yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But like, you know, being a parent is the greatest thing. Like, you know, we, we talk about, you know, the jobs we do and everything like that. Like my number one job in this world is to be a parent to my daughter. And it's the coolest thing in the world. And other jobs I do are to be able to facilitate how I can be a parent. And I love my job. They've taken, they've taken very good care of me in, in, in all times. And they've given me the flexibility to say, when I, when I now say I have to do this for my kid, they don't sit there and, and argue it. But I also know that there'll be days where I have to do something for my kid. And I'm going to have to put my job in, in, in place of it just till I can get it done so I can get us where we need to go. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing I bring to my job every day is we're going to get through whatever they throw at us. You know, yeah. we could have equipment breakdown. We can have our techs breakdown. We can have our management breakdown. I will be there and put it all back together because that's what I do. Yeah. You know, the most important thing in my life dictates it. Everything else could learn to be a little bit more like that, you know, and yeah. be treated more like that. You know, yeah. You're a problem solver. You're a no quit. You get shit done. It's all about, hey, man. You'll figure out a way, finding a way. And that's the, I mean, I think that's the mantra of any parents, just finding a way, right? Like that's all it is. Dude, man, that's a fucking, I mean, wow. Fucking roller coaster of a fucking story. 
And I'm, dude, I'm so proud to see you where you're at now, man. Cause, you know, when we were fucking hanging out being stunads, fucking killing geese in the park, right? Like, fucking, I never would have thought that, you know, we would be here. And to see you like just this fucking the man you are now, fuck, can't be more proud of you, pal. And you fucking look, earned it. You know? Dude, I look at the same way with you. And it's like I said, like a, a lot of people will look and be like, it's tough to tell these stories. And, and, and you know, sometimes it is. But like yeah. there's a person that sees this that takes their own situation and, and is able to say, you know what, I can figure out more. I can do more. You know, yeah. loving your kid is the bare minimum of what you can do as a parent. Yeah. If you if you love your kid. That is, you will, you will get a passing grade on being a parent, but that's the bare minimum of what you can do to provide, you know, yeah. you can provide experiences and, you know, even a couple weeks ago, man, I'll just tell you another quick story. No, of course, man. I went to uh, Virginia for a family vacation. Like I, yeah. I went to two concerts and I went to a vacation with my daughter and nice. it's her favorite place to go. She loves to go to Virginia. What's what concerts there. did you go to? Oh, I went to fish concerts. I love fish. <laughs> oh, and, uh, and your daughter's there too? No, 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 no. Oh, I was gonna say, I was like, maybe another time, maybe yeah, another time. But yeah, yeah. but like we go to, I, I go to those two concerts. I come back Thursday. We go on vacation, and I get down to vacation, and there's a little drama going on at the, at the place, and and things weren't necessarily perfect, but like my daughter's cousin was about to leave, and Layla was like, I want to show her something. And, and whatever, I was out in the other room, I was doing something else. And all I hear is the shriek. And I'm like, Oh, my God, my kid got hurt. Uh, like I, could, I knew it. Yeah. I knew it. And apparently from what was told to me, Layla decided that she, it was a rope swing that was above ground. So she grabbed the rope swing, swung out and didn't come back. So she went out like was like eight or 10 feet over the ground fell. Uh, boom, broke, broke both her wrists. Oh just, Jesus! Just, this poor just, child on fucking <laughs> vacation. On vacation. Oh. Our, our first day of vacation. So that Thursday oh. into Friday, I had to overnight at the hospital with her, where they had to literally reset her bone. And I, that, it was just a few weeks ago. I remember the doctor. They reset her bone, and they're like, "All right, let's make sure everything worked." And the doctor took one look at the X-ray, and she goes, "Fuck." I was like, oh, that's not good. She's like, we need to keep you overnight. We got to get you with a specialist and reset her arm. Uh, so my daughter's got, she's got a cast that was like all the way up this arm. And then uh, she buckle fractured this wrist. So it was like another cast like up here on this arm, like somewhere in this yeah, area. Yeah, yeah. So we get, we get through the hospital stay and we drive home. I promised her McDonald's on the way back and I <laughs> all these things. And, and, yeah. and we go back to the vacation place and I go, Layla, like we need to go do something right now. She's like, what? And I went and put her on the rope swing. Yeah, get right I, back I on sat, that. I sat horse. her. I sat her on it, and I and I didn't push her hard. I didn't do anything crazy. Sure. But I was like, I was like, we're not, we're not gonna live in fear of of God what fun we're gonna have. Right. Like you're goddamn. You, you got yeah. hurt. We got hurt having fun, and we're gonna rebuild having fun again. And she God lost damn. a couple of things she wanted to do, but we figured it out. We put her in a float and put her on the river. We just couldn't yeah. get her cast wet. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's put any, plastic bags on. Yeah, or... anything can happen, man. And it's like it's it's you know being inspired, man. Yeah. Like I said, I have a I have a very important thing I also want to share is I have I have this uh, when my daughter was in the hospital when she got burned, I I came up with these three rules, and yeah. I literally it's the only piece of art I have in my entire house. It's like the it means the world to me. It was a an amazingly close friend gave it to me, and it kind of encapsulates how I view being a part of life, not even being a parent or being anything. Yeah. Um, and the number one rule is to embrace your weird, like yeah. be who you are, 
Don't Fuck ever, yeah. don't ever turn away from being different than other people. I, in my past as a kid, always turned away, always knew I was weird, but always turned away from embracing that side of it. Same. When I became a parent, when all my things came to, to fruition and all this life came about me, I started to embrace that weird side of me. Like, it's funny. People come up to me now and be like, you're great mom and dad. And I'm like, no, I can only be dad. Yeah. I'll always, always, I can only ever be dad and I can't yeah. replace her mother. I was like, yeah. I can find somebody that loves me, but I'll never be able to replace those things. Yeah. Can Number I say real yeah. quick though, is as kids though, I think one of the reasons that we got along so well is because we could be the same weird with each other. Right. Absolutely. That's why I think we connected really well. Is that because I like, yeah, I was a fucking weird kid too. You know <laughs> what I mean? But, and you would have to act a certain way around certain people and you yeah. couldn't be yourself all the time. And I, and I think everyone feels that. But then you found people that you could be yourself with, and that were kind of the same. Right? Yeah, and and, and that I would I, do I, weird, goofy shit and just be fucking stupid, you know. And that's fine, <laughs> you know. It's just yeah. being a kid, and you need to do that. But you need to have, you know, you need to have someone that's cool with being doing that and just doing stupid shit and being yeah. dumb. Like we were fucking idiots, you know. <laughs> but like you're idiots together. So no, I, embracing your weird is a great rule. What's rule number two? Rule number two is wear your scars like a badge of honor. Uh, very simple and, and easily approached. Like, yeah. you know, I, I carry with me things that people look from the outside and they say, you must've been through so much. And it's like, nah, 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 nah. I, this is a rule I get from my kid. Like you, you get thrown into the literal fire and you're going to get burned. Yeah. You get, you get these things that happen to you and you have every choice to just cover them up and, and, you know, you can you can wear something that that doesn't show your arm or doesn't show your chest or you can wear a hat or a bandana and you can you can you can hide all these things about you. But you could also take that stuff, approach it, show people where you come from and inspire them so that when they're down, they can look at you and say, you fought back. I can fight back too. Yeah. you know, yeah. wear your scars with honor wherever you came from, whoever you are, whether you're a kid and an adult. Every experience you've been through, keep it in your mind. You never know who you're going to affect with positivity to change their life by telling. Sometimes it's just a story of saying, I got hurt too. Yeah. Sometimes it's, it's as simple as, you know, uh, not being hurt, but like, this is, this is the number one thing that pulled me out of my slump. This is what, this is what made me who I am. This is what gave me the life I have now, yeah. you know? Uh, and the third one is very simple. Uh, love always wins. Um, like, you apply love in any situation and it can override the darkest thing you can come through as dark as the screen behind me, which is a house, but, <laughs> um, you know, love always wins. You're, you're gonna, you're gonna find moments where everything crumbles around you. And it's from personal experience with family, from, you know, you know, relationships of the past, from being born where I come from, where you, 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 you lose a sister before you're born. You don't know what other people have been through. Yeah. But you do know if you provide a light and you love with an open heart that you can, you can embrace the world in such a better way and make a positive impact to, to make people see and believe that there's always a better opportunity just around the corner. You just got to get there. You just got to get there. Yeah. You know, so for anybody listening or anybody that hears this, like you have Dude, no, so much power inside of you to do such amazing things and you can find redemption in this world at any point, no matter what you've done, good or yeah, bad, you I can agree. find it all. Dude, you are 100% fucking right. Those are you got the right attitude. Fucking A, man. And those are, that is the right shit that a kid needs to hear. That is fucking awesome, man. That is, uh, dude, I couldn't agree more with all of that. 
That's fucking appreciate good. it, man. Yeah, look at dude. us. We're parents now, man. How you, you, you Fuck, never thought dude. it would be the way oh, it is. Oh my like, god, you know? man. Jesus Christ. I didn't even think, yeah, I came in me. I didn't think I'd still be kicking at this age, you know. Like I thought <laughs> I thought I'd be in the ground a long time ago. But you know, fucking uh I'll tell you this. That is another thing, too, where like there was so okay, this is something that's weird about being a parent, right? Where like I would watch a movie and say if like something happened where like they took a kid or a kid's missing could give a shit before right like it doesn't make sense how is that adding any drama now that i have a kid and i see if anything happens to a kid in a movie i'm like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) you know and you fucking completely lose it but you know whatever you know especially having a daughter can turn you fucking it turns you it turns you like it turns you tough but it's also like you know it opens up your vulnerabilities a lot as well but well, it's not from being a parent too, Justin. It's the same thing. I mean, you don't have to be a parent to experience these things and provide that to people. Yeah, I have a, I have a beautiful 10-month-old puppy. There you go. There you go, man. You I'd, fight a, I'd fight a dragon for her. I I would. We all would, man. <laughs> right, just, just to tell this last thing is, yeah. is from that trip to Virginia when I came home, yeah. something was off with me, and I couldn't figure it out. So that Sunday I came home from Virginia – I uh, literally, because I had to carry all my daughter's stuff in because she had two broken wrists. I had to yeah. unpack the whole car. <laughs> so like I get home, I'm laying down, I'm trying to figure out what to do. And I lost my goddamn car key. If you uh, know anything about me, Matt, we had to cancel this podcast the first time because my car got stolen. <laughs> now literally, like I come home from Virginia, I lose my car key and I'm supposed to go to work on Monday. 10 o'clock at night, I lose that car key and I can't find it. I looked for eight consecutive hours out in the streets of Philadelphia because I'd walked to the to the Sunoco with my daughter. I couldn't uh, find my car key. Like I was just melting in front of everybody. It was the definition of like all the times I live in the I live in Philly. Like all the times you watch like the dope heads like walk around yeah, and they look like they're lost. Yeah, I was that guy. Uh, yeah. Like all I was doing was smoking pot and trying to figure out what I was doing. Yeah. So. I go through this. I can't find my car key. I have a very special friend reach out to me at like 630 in the morning because I text them and I'm like, I, I'm losing my mind. Like, what am I going to do? And she texts me. She's like, you need to chill the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I think I needed somebody to personally tell me something so that I could do it. And when that happened, I called to get my car rekeyed for like $400 and they were yeah. on their way to rekey my car. And in that moment of like the next five minutes, I found my goddamn car key sitting in my trunk. Like, no! just sitting out there, like it's just sitting there in the car lot. Uh, oh my god! Wait, wait, like, it was in the the key of the trunk. No, no, no it was oh. in the tr- it was in the trunk. Like you looked oh, okay. in the trunk through the window, and it was sitting right there, like just uh, in its own spot with nothing around it. My uh, car's usually a mess, so like it yeah. was just it was just the thing. Yeah. So like I go through work that whole day and I'm so miserable and like I just look so tired. I finally yeah. found my stuff, but I was just like kicking myself for all these bad, like all these things that just happen and it, it, it grinds on you, man. It like yeah. grinds on you. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect. You have to provide yeah. the example for your kid, but it doesn't mean you're always firing at optimal speed. Amen. So, so I got home that night from work on a Monday and I'm, and I'm just like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do to change? And it has to come from you. And I'm like, what are you going to do? Like, what, like, this is your time now. You just watched yourself through this whole day. Nobody saw how much you were struggling but you just completely like, you, you just, you're, you're, you're forgetting things. You're doing all these things that you shouldn't do. Like you got look, what are you going to do, Pat? What are you going to do? And I figured it out. I, I don't know how long I'll figure it out for, but I figured it out from smoking pot since the age of 16. I took that day and I, I gave all my stuff away and I've 
don't drink. So for the equivalent of the last, you know, going on seven weeks on Monday, I've been completely sober. Damn. Oh, yeah. Like the How first like time. Since I, dude, that's so boring. <laughs> <laughs> Like I can't you realize how much time really you have. Boring. It's really boring, and like I don't want to play video games anymore. And like that is I find a my sad, stuff. Yeah, I had that yeah. same thing happen to me. It's a sad Sorry, factor dude. to it, but you'll yeah. start finding better hobbies. And yeah, but it's find like, somewhere to start dedicating that time, and you'll you'll start to feel. You know, I can spend getting, that time on Justin. I could spend that time being a better parent and figuring out yeah. more things to inspire people. And it's with. a lot. Like, it's, it's a cool. lot more rewarding than platinuming Red Dead Redemption too. Yeah, yeah. it's just awesome. I fucking love that game though. Red Dead Redemption great game. is fucking incredible. incredible. Great game. But I don't like I don't it. I don't like say this sober to, to try to gain clout and be like, you all need to be like, be no. you. Be yeah. anybody, yeah. be you, man. Yeah, do be, you. I just did something that I changed and I found a lot more within myself to like, I think if we had done this this three, you know, three months ago when my car was stolen like that, I think the conversation would have been different. I would have constantly tried to re-explain myself. But like when I'm in this point now, like I just feel like I have all this power and I'm just waiting for the right time to start to to mesh it into my things without overdoing it or trying to latch onto something new. I just kind of find that free time and I stand still, which yeah, is like you, something I've never done. I've had ADD all my life, you know? You've got energy building up and you're going to find a direction for it and it'll be a lot more rewarding than where it was going. Previously. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. We're looking for some work. Like we're looking for our next big angle on the show. J-Dub had a good idea. We're always looking for creative. So if you want to get more involved with this with your free time, fucking amen. Love to have Whatever you. I can do for you. Justin, I think you did a great job too. Matt, I appreciate you guys. Like uh, this whole experience and, and jerk beard and everybody. Uh, they, they motivate you to do better even, even through it all. And like I said, you know, you're going to win those rights back on October 2nd. I'm going to be there with you. We're going to take the world back for a storm. We're going to take over Graham's pub and we're going to, we're going to do the damn thing. Dude, I can't like, I'm envisioning in my mind, like imagine it's a race, right? And it's back and forth and you're going, you're like, you're watching both screens and it's like, Oh, oh, oh. and then all of a sudden, like someone finishes just in front of the other person and gets first place. Like it's going to be a fucking pop out the wazoo. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like the place is going to go nuts. So that's what I'm hoping on October 2nd. I mean, by the time this airs, that will already have, I would have already won the uh, rights to my show back by this time of the airing. But you know, if I don't go fuck yourself. All right, whatever. (laughs) But, uh, so I did, I, you know, Justin, you and me are usually on the same page with this. And, but Pat, I, we would love to have you back on if you'd be willing to come back on. Dude, anytime, man. I just, like I said, whatever I can do to support you. Like I, it was funny. I was looking at it the other day and uh, I have to show you this because this is the last time that we talked before all on, on uh, messenger. Okay. I held on to this because I wanted to see this. May 15th, 2010. <laughs> May 15, 2010. Let's get this is you sending to me. Let's get fucked up tonight. Murdering geese encouraged. <laughs> my response, my response was, where are you? <laughs> Your response was land of the free and the brave. Uh, fucking A. Land of the free and the home of the brave. That fucking was that was the, the three text messages that we shared for, on Messenger from 11 years ago. Look at them now. <laughs> Hey, murdering geese is always well. I guess it's not encouraged. Uh, that's not the opinion of the I think it's a federal offense, actually. <clears throat> no, really? no, no. That, that's, that doesn't need to make the cut. But uh, I'm still sorry I hit that goose. It was one of the weirdest <laughs> experiences of my life. It was one of the protected animal. Oh fuck! Well, that never happened. Uh, <laughs> we never did that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, well, no. What you were saying, statue, yeah. statue of limitations. Fucking, we were what 
God, that was 1999, maybe. So yeah, it was way too long ago. Yeah, last Thursday. So, it was an accident. Yeah, <laughs> it was a total. It was the it was the goose's fault. They we're, were skipping rocks. Yeah, Just skipped one right. There. Jesus. Yeah, but I think I think you got a uh, I think you got a great ass attitude. You should come back for sure. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate it, man. And like I said, I appreciate you filling in for. Uh, for well, Pete. he's he's the new full time man. Party boys Pretty fired. <laughs> I Party heard that. I saw that. On. Yeah. Well, keep so, it up, Justin. It was yeah, no more lanes. I love kids. the uh, at North Wales. That is a Nintendo controller in the back there, right? That is the original one from the, my uncle Mike got me in there. I can't believe you fucking spotted that. I saw it the whole time. I know exactly what that is. My man. uncle Mike gave me that super uh, regular Nintendo, uh, I think, at my kindergarten or first grade birthday party. I don't think I've ever put more time into playing Tecmo Super Bowl than any other game in my lifetime. I was packing it up and it no longer worked. And I was like, I'm not throwing. I couldn't throw it away. I was like, I'll just take it with me. And you just cut the wire. That's pretty yeah, sweet. Yeah, just cut the wire off. And it usually hangs on door frames. That's awesome. That's a great little kind of niche. So, all right. Well, we're coming to the top of time. Before we get out of here, uh, Pat, anything you'd like to say to your adoring fan base before we take off? Nah, man. Live your best life. Have fun. Enjoy it. You can never, you never know when your inspiration is going to come. And like days, nights like tonight, regardless of how much I spoke to you guys, inspired me. I appreciate hey, it. Hey, dude, no, you were, this was just a fucking, this was a great fucking show. And you fucking nailed it, man. Like, like, I, I just hope we get some good, like, our facial expressions are just going to be like, what the fuck? Like, you know, like, yeah. like, there's like listening to your story and everything like that. It's just, you know, we're fucking, dude. I'm in awe of, of what you were able to do and just so fucking proud of you, man. And I know that you're just going to keep killing it. And your whole mental attitude now is something that everyone should aspire to have. So couldn't be good. Couldn't be more happy for you. And you and your daughter and just dude, just keep killing it, man. So proud of you, bro. Oh, I'll see you guys in a couple of weeks then, man. I yeah. appreciate it. Good, good. Hey, uh, J-Dub, anything you want to say to your adoring fan base before we get out of here? Yeah, man. Keep the, keep the faith and uh, get yourself an attitude like Pat. Yeah. Amen, brother. <laughs> so a lot better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, man. So this has been another episode of the Working Perspectives Podcast. I'm Matt Lavelle, accompanied by Justin Richardson. And our guest today was the indomitable Pat Kane. You can find all our content and all our stuff on all podcast platforms and YouTube at Working Perspectives Podcast. You can hang out with us on Instagram at Working Perspectives Podcast and join us on the Twitter and the TikTok at Working Pod. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, then email us at workingperspectives at gmail.com and please, for the love of God, subscribe. All right. Uh, have a great night. Stick around for the ad Thanks. See you. Bye. Do you have a message or a story inside of you that you've been waiting to tell? Have you always dreamed of writing a book but are intimidated by the complexities of the book publishing world? Perhaps you want to use a book to launch your public speaking or consulting career. If so, please reach out to Scott and Bell Publishing, located right here in beautiful Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Scott and Bell Publishing handle all genres and authors with all experience levels. Scott and Bell Publishing gives authors 100% creative freedom and a higher royalty split. They can be found at www.skotbell.com. That's www.s is in Sam, K is in Kite, O is in October, E is in Tom, B is in Boy, E is in Edward, L is in Larry, L is in Larry.com. That's Scott and Bell Publishing, where the authors go.